I think someone made a hilarious comment on a video where someone said like when he uh, uses power, he looks really like scary and gaunt. And someone called him like Lord um, Lord Buscemi eyes because <laughs> he, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just looks like he's like, <laughs> and he has like a slept in ears or something. I'm starting to feel like this guy got misplaced and he should have been in the Lamenters. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Lore Crimes. Uh, today, we've got something very special. Uh, it's been some time since we properly covered a member of the Adeptus Astartes, the Space Marines. And so, for uh, such a monumental return to form, we've decided to cover, I was going to say one of, but no, just, just the most powerful one in the setting, uh, by quite some margin. Uh, I imagine it goes Space Marine, a whole lot of tiers, him, and then Primarchs. Without, without further ado, I'll give you the grand reveal. We're talking about Mephiston today. And, uh... Yay! Not I, you know, I mean, look, that's not fair. Like, he's, no. above, the, he's, <laughs> above, he's, he's above the Emperor. <laughs> he's the Kato Sicarius. <laughs> no, today is uh, Warhammer's very own blonde, uh, time-stopping vampire. I had to get that in once. Come on. Uh, I, will, I will shut my mouth on it going forward. I... I promise in the same way, I promise this is a sleep schedule reset. <laughs> so I probably won't. Colin has been to sleep for a while. <laughs> 24 hours. He swears it's the last uh -huh. one. He swears. I wish I had these powers. I can get so much done. <laughs> Just know, everyone watching, that we, we put our health at risk for this podcast. Please sleep for eight hours a day. <laughs> Please. I, I am not a sleep denier. Please sleep for eight hours a day, I beg of you people. Uh, and, it, and it's ironic that this is kind of like the vampire faction, and here we have Colin, who's like upside down like a bat IRL trying to stay awake. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. But uh, before we get into that, I uh, I think it's about time for the question of the week. Uh, so we're going to go over uh, last, week ugh, last week's answers real quick. Right, thanks very much, Colin. Uh, this week's question of the week, uh, we had some interesting stuff about uh, the Necron dynasties that you guys were making up in the comments from our last video. And so we're, and I believe it was hashtag Dynasty, which is a classic Law Crimes uh, original meme from the first episode. Uh, so without further ado, let's go through some of my favorite picks of comments, uh, starting off with Tristan Wood 1308 and he said hashtag Dynasty, the Iron Hands Dynasty. Known for actually having iron hands made of iron, they've been stuck in a several thousand year legal battle with a specific Space Marine chapter over naming rights. There we no, go, that's this, the first one. This guy, he's targeted my <laughs> beloved, my boys. Again. You get uh, so much so much iron war or iron hands hate comments. <laughs> it's so, so unreasonable. Thing last time reasonable. as well about it's going to be a, recurring, a recurring joke at this rate. <laughs> oh, Look, man. if you're going to be boring, you should be hated on. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Says the Eldar oh, player. I think they're cool. Ooh. The Eldar yeah. aren't boring. They're just elves, so everyone hates them because they no one boring. has They are boring. You know, shows no love currently. Uh, That's why they're boring, Colin. It's not your fault, uh, but it's why. Oh, and they, <laughs> and they show love to Metal Man. They did. They metal got, hands. More they than the Eldar. 
That's so true. We've both been Everyone's at least sad that Ferris died. No one's sad the Unary Trilogy exploded. Yeah. Oh, pain. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading through the Eye of Medusa book on my Kindle, so I'm, I'm having fun nice. with the Iron Hands. There's just not much lore, and it's all old books, which is a bit frustrating. Mm. Uh, but anyway, moving on to our <clears throat> second uh, of the hashtag Dynasty comments from Harry Ballantyne 398 uh, the Dovark Inn Dynasty. Very open to trade with the lesser races, uh, though every piece of technology they trade comes pre-installed with some strange architect called Skararim. Their main form of defense is using transdimensional <laughs> beamers to teleport their foes away. No one knows where, uh, but the psychic echoes transmit the following words, Hey, you, you're finally awake. Oh, okay. God does it again. Let's hey. get it again. This has Mike the Liar written all over it. This guy is so sabotaged us. Harry Ballantyne will be known as Mike from now on. I will brooker no Mike slander in this in this podcast. Knows many things, and he would never lie to me. No, Khajiit has words. Harry Harry's a regular commenter, so we see you. We appreciate the the love. Keep 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 it up, man. We appreciate it. Khajiit has skooma. Uh, <laughs> what's the scoop in Warhammer? Uh, I, I, there's there's only one thing like whiskey. Yeah, I can't think of like any like Jet is what I keep thinking of. I was like, no, that's Fallout again. No, no, Todd Howard. Um, there's like really a couple had... drugs they bring up, but they're like in some way related to combat. Usually, like slot. Mm. There really yeah. isn't hasn't been like a kind of uh, epidemic, <clears> you know. Uh, sort of drug plot line in Warhammer yet and that's clearly the part that GW are missing so GW mm. yeah. out there, the Emperor's clearly. children they've nicked all the drugs anyway they're like they're all mine and then like don't do any drugs Imperial Citizen it's heresy it's naughty don't do it <laughs> although they have got Warhammer crimes so maybe we'll see more of that uh, that'd be quite Ooh. interesting yeah. Warhammer um, is a drug prick <laughs> plastic yeah. is the West drug yeah. <laughs> the pile of shame um, impact your but... wallet in the same way <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. With, with Khajiit, though, going back to them, I always like find it a shame that in Skyrim you can't just be like, pet the Khajiit. Like, why not? It's just a cat. It's, it's a, a grown cat. man, technically. <laughs> yeah, you, you ask for consent, but you're like, can I just, can I just give you a little chin scratch? Just a, just I don't a know, bro. I think there's a different kind of elf. Maybe I should maybe I should kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> Pelinor White Strike here. I don't know. Including Garfield. Uh, Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> he's in the opera video. He's in the video. We are uh, not Murr. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, and, and before we get any more um, elf slaughter going on, uh, final comment I've picked. I quite like this one. Uh, it's from your boy striker three seven five zero. Said hashtag dynasty. My dynasty shall be dubbed the Pankenis. Uh, Pan Their only purpose is to serve bacon and pancakes to any human with an accent resembling that of the ancient Terran tribe known as the English. Their reasoning for this mission is still unknown to this day. Ah, nice. There was a big argument on that episode where we, me and Hal were like, why would you why would you put like pancakes with bacon? It's weird. <laughs> I think it all comes down to that. Breakfast should kind of be more savory. Just from... Mm. And it, it's the idea of it being Dinner is sweet. savory, bro. D yeah, dinner is... Pudding is... <laughs> dessert is... Mm, exactly, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, let's not get into how much sugar there is in American food stuff, because I... Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, you guys yeah, 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 sugar that. on you'll this sugar-based meal. Oh, it's like carbs on carbs yeah, on carbs. Yeah, yum, yeah, yum, yeah that's yum. right, buddy. That's right. 
Come on, it's tasty. I mean, not that. Look, you, look, you can comp- look. I get our food is like horrendous for you, but I do not. Get bre- breakfast is can be sweet. Yeah, uh, don't you like like having honey on an English muffin? You're English. It's no. a English muffin. English. On, I have honey and tea, but that's about it. Honey on I, dessert. I, or tea. I, my favorite pre-workout meal is English muffin with honey and eggs. What the heck? Is this one you don't put the eggs on the English muffin. It's like the, separate. But... The kind of muffin I'm thinking of, I don't think it's the same muffin. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like... It's said an English like... muffin in, in the general. I don't know. Oh, I just don't like the idea of eggs being anywhere near honey. That just seems strange to me. Well, no, you don't put the honey on the eggs. You put the honey on no, the English muffin. If you eat, <laughs> like, two bites, then the palate's going to get confused. That's not a muffin. That's like a scone. Yeah, who came for their yeah, Come on, English. Or is America's uh, I'm not going to say that, actually. <laughs> listen, listen, listen to these people, dear viewers. Fucking scone. They're making up <laughs> words. <laughs> oh, man. Scones are sweet. Scones are super sweet. For all the, for all the people who came <laughs> for their Warhammer lore and they come to do with them, what, breakfast debates. Hashtag next, culinary, cl- culinary crimes. The next verse is going to be breakfast versus breakfast at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Just, anyway. We could um, argue that for all the time. Yeah, that'll be our, our, like, anniversary episode. Like, yeah, breakfast versus. Um, anyway, before... <laughs> Let let's not get too too sidetracked. We're here for a, for an interesting episode about the boys of the ninth. So we've got a, a ninth legion slash chapter themed next question of the week for next episode, and it is hashtag black rage. And this is all about uh, what is um what is the one thing that makes you rage about Warhammer? Now this doesn't have to be necessarily just law. This could be about the business. It could be about the models. It could be about the law. It could be about anything. As long as it's about Warhammer or Warhammer 40k, what makes you hashtag lack rage? And that's the next question of the week. Um, I'm interested to see what the uh, the comments are going to be about that. Uh, but otherwise, I suppose it's time to pass back on to Colin to get into today's episode. And with that done, it's uh, it's time for the beginner section, where Andy will be taking it away with the uh, the be- beginner basics of Mephiston. Andy, what kind of lore do you have for us in store today? The floor is all yours. Thank you very much, Colin. Uh, I'm going to say this up front. Um, I know Hal has a very vast script up ahead, <laughs> so I'm not going to take up too much of your time. And also, I have a slight confession to make. Although I am the Mr. Imperium man and I know a lot about the Space Marines, I'm a fist and knowledge is not as vast as Hal's. And am I right in thinking he has like three mainline books and several short stories? And oh, yeah. he's in a lot of big, he's like in Devastation of Baal. He's got three of his own books. He's in the Warhammer TV series briefly. He's in, he's all over the place. Um, so there's a lot to cover. And so with that in mind, I'm not going to take too much of your time, but we'll go over the basics. Um, so Mephiston would originally be born on Baal, Secund- uh, Baal Primus, where if you're a Blood Angels fan, you might realize that a lot of times you hear about Baal Secundus, which I believe is one of the moons, which is where their base of operations is. But Mephiston was bo- born on Baal Primus uh, among its tribe, and he was a young boy known as Kai. And from his humble beginnings among the irradiated wastes of uh, Baal Primus, he would become probably the most powerful space marine ever with time um but you know this is during the 41st millennium i believe he's born um 
Eventually, with time, he would be inducted into the Blood Angels and become one of their librarians. Originally, he was a Lexicanum librarian. Uh, he would be known as Callisterius when he ascended as a fully-fledged Blood Angel. And with time, he would become the chief librarian of the Order. And he would also, interestingly, become a, an honorary member of the First Company during their boarding actions of the Space Hulk, the Sin of Damnation. Um with time, he would. There's not really like not that much known about his time as Callisterius because that's not really the fun part. But with time, he would develop a craven, a craven for a bit of blood, and then he would be subsumed by the Black Rage. Now we all know about the Black Rage more or less. It's the the death knell of Sanguinius that all Blood Angels are cursed with. To uh, if they if they submit to their inner rage. They are overtaken by visions of their Primarch dying at the hands of Horus Lupercal and are in are completely frenzied in their need to slay Horus the Warmaster. And if you happen to be in the vicinity, you're, you, the Blood Angel is going to be seeing red and they're going to see you and they're going to see the Warmaster and they're going to cut you to ribbons. Even if there's you and 10 of your friends, they'll see 10 Horus Lupercals and they'll rip you to pieces because that's kind of their deal. They're noble warriors, but they also have this inner savagery um but interestingly for uh mephiston as he would become known uh he actually survived the black rage he's one of the few astartes that went through the frenzy and came back sane enough to become a member of the death company and funnily enough <laughs> in mephiston's case uh he would when when he was serving in the uh the death company during the second war of armageddon it happened again He's he he got he got he got the black rage twice, and he would be I believe he is trapped during the conflict of the Second War of Armageddon. He's trapped under a bunch of rubble of a big temple, and while under the rubble, suffering the black rage, he can't really move. He can't really fight. He can't do anything, and so he just has to deal with it. And for a while, he's trying to crawl out of the rubble. And by the time he gets out of his uh, entombment upon the world of Armageddon, he rises from his second time surviving the Black Rage, and he he is now, he inhabits the title of Misfiston. And I believe this is a title he has within him. Uh, this is this is something where he, he embodies a fragment of the Black Rage. He's kind of the avatar for the curse of the Blood Angels. So at this point, he relinquishes his title of Callisteris. He becomes the so-called lord of death and with this uh this power as the avatar of the curse of the blood angels he has these uh these psychic black wings which he can use to fly he's supremely powerful as a psyker and the black rage empowers him further he also has this sword called vitaris known as the sanguine sword which is a four sword similar to a nemesis uh four sword that the uh, that the gray knights use in that it's empowered by his inner rage and it, it bursts into a crimson flame the more angry he gets. And again, we've got a lot to talk about. That's kind of the basic overview of Mephiston. He's he's everyone's favorite crazy uncle slash vampire wizard. Um, I don't really know if there's much else to say before we do the deep dive, if I'm honest. I'm just ready. I'm roaring to go. <laughs> yeah, there I know. I was like, I want to keep this brief. <laughs> there is something cool, though, which is uh, his sword, Vitaris. Um, it is supposedly like a gift from, like a lot of other uh, like librarians, they have staffs, and obviously 
sometimes if they're really good, they're able to like transfer like their power through a sword. And Vitaris is particularly cool because uh, it's kind of like um, Thor's hammer. It like comes back to him when he mm. throws it or like yeets it at a demon. And my favorite part is literally he will whisper, he just whispers it and he goes like, Vitaris. And it just goes, thong, and it comes back. And it's usually <laughs> on fire. And, it has uh, like a weird boomerang etching in the top as well, which is quite funny. Yeah. It's, it's currently in Australia as we speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fist and flings the sword, and then as soon as it comes back, you just hear in the distance, "Good day," and then it comes back. <laughs> Bogan Librarian Sword. I think that's the, <laughs> the the title for it. Now it's a really cool, uh, cool sword. I think that's my only thing before we get in. I like uh, I like how the first time he comes down from the Black Rage, it's like he, he calmed down a bit, but the second time it's like he went full circle where he went just pure calm because he's so unbelievably mad. He's like, I've come, we've looped around, I am now a sea of angry calm. It's like when you get so mad, it just short circuits. There's a well. There's a well. When we go into it, there's actually a few times where it's actually come and gone quite a lot in his story. <laughs> but we will. There's like there's a couple of main times he or does dude. go through it. Um, but I do. <laughs> I think someone made a hilarious comment on a video which someone said like when he, uh, in uses power, he looks really like scary and gaunt, and someone called him like Lord um Lord Buscemi eyes because <laughs> he because <laughs> 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 he just looks like he's like. <laughs> And he has like a slept in years or something. I'm starting to feel like this guy got misplaced and he should have been in the Lamenters. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you are in the wrong chapter. <laughs> Hello, fellow Blood Raven, uh, Blood Angel. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> it's following oh, us. Man. Oh my god. Uh, with that being said, though, is everyone ready to dive into the full on expert slash. Uh, Long, long story of Mephiston's journey. Yes, sir. Chief Psyker of the Blood Ravens. <laughs> uh, oh, that one's corrected by Corn, wasn't it? That's was a weird move. Um, GW. Yeah. Oh, no, relic. Um, they, they gave her a stamp of approval. With, oh, with that being said, though, if you guys are listening, if you're new, or even if you're just painting your Warhammer figures, uh, this is a, there's a decent amount to go through on this one, so do strap in. Uh, and also feel free if you want to add any comments, boys, because again, this will be a bit of a roller coaster. Uh, so we begin with the story of Lord Mephiston, chief librarian of the Blood Angels, the Lord of Death. He's the most powerful psyker in all of the Adeptus Astartes. But his story begins centuries and centuries before he even became the Lord of Death. And it would be in good old M41. I know we've done a lot of our episodes particularly like heresy focused this one is full-on well, yeah we're, this is worst timeline humanity here we're in the 41st millennium and as andy uh, did say uh we begin on Baal primus where a child would be born into the Ro- the roaming tribes who sort of wander around the irradiated wastes uh quick note Baal primus is a much bigger planet it's like bigger than earth so the gravity is actually quite a bit stronger on Baal Primus. You think that would make them all a bit shorter or maybe like squats, but apparently not. It just makes it on hard mode uh, for some reason. Um, but it gets worse because the child who is born is named Kai. Uh, sounds like something from Avatar The Last Airbender. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, but he's going to go through a bit <laughs> of a journey in this one. And Kai was since just a simple tribesman or a child at this time. Uh, he had literally nothing 
I think it says his only possession is literally like a piece of colored glass on a string. And like, that's all he has really. And he also had like a really <laughs> kids these days with their tablets. <laughs> Luxury. When I were a kid, yeah. I only had a piece of string with some glass on it. Well, During the Astartes, we had two sticks and a rock. <laughs> and we shared the rock. My favorite part is that oh, there's like gosh. a vision quest, like looking back at this time, and they all comment that he's actually quite ugly as a child. Oh, leave the guy alone. The other blood, the blood angels. Oh, God, too much bird, bird in there. Um, uh, also, Kai unfortunately had a really terrible father. He was quite mean, and um, eventually Kai would run away because it was death was better. And running away in Baal on any of the planets, they they purposely keep it quite rough on these like desert worlds. So it was basically certain death. But Kai was would be a bit luckier. He would find this hunched sage uh, sort of figure who would help uh, nurture the innate abilities that Kai possessed because at this time it was becoming clear that Kai was a psyker so he was connected to the warp he had power he could um, throw funny funny lightning bolts at people he gets to do really cool stuff later but again that's uh, spoilers uh, but as all the people on Baal would see uh, powers like this don't go unnoticed and eventually the Emperor's angels would appear and they would take him to do the trials of the blood angels. I'm sure a few of us probably know like they have um, there's that really awful one. They have to like essentially they get all the uh, I say young initiates, but we do mean young children essentially. And they basically do like a rat run. They go through like a desert and they like to fight. There's like massive scorpions and they have to try and get past them. And it's pretty awful. And they have to essentially go in a blood sarcophagus and they have to survive like the visions of that and uh kai would actually pass these grueling trials and then he would as many as different astartes chapters do in fact many even just general warrior lodges in history he would discard his old identity and he would become calistarius and calistarius is, is obviously a much more also good sorry is there a single space marine chapters like initiation rituals that aren't just atrocious like, do any of them just have, like, yeah, who, whoever does the most sit-ups, you're in? <laughs> I think there's uh, maybe some of the more ultramarine-focused ones are a little yeah, bit true. more... Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, ra the Raven Guard do a lot of, like, they teach you how to, like, pack stuff into your armor so it makes less noise, and it's all about... I, I'd assume because they're quite stealthy, they're not as much, like... Right, go into the flogging machine and <laughs> eat the glass. Blood like, coffin. Yeah, like eat, eat the glass cereal. It's like no, it's more about sneaky, sneaky. Um, but when you were talking about the tough trials, about the blood, blood angels, I was just imagining like the space wars going. <laughs> oh, my trials were tougher than your trials, and then the ultimate like, my trials were tougher than your and imperial fist. I wore a bodysuit that inflicts pain. Mine was tougher, and then the grey knights just going amateurs and just never-ending pissing contest. <laughs> And no one wins, um, except us as we <laughs> enjoy the law. And uh, good old Calistarius, he'll be trained in his psychic abilities, combat, war, all that good space marine stuff. But uh, a little bit uniquely to the Blood Angels, they would also be trained as artists and poets and all that kind of, uh, I guess, extracurricular is the best way to describe it. And there's a really good part where it mentions... Well, Calistarius mentions like he actually remembers the first time he heard music, which I thought was a really cool detail in one of their books because 
you would go, oh yeah, like a super soldier who was like a tribesman, he wouldn't have actually heard any, like a lot of them don't really live good lives until they, funny enough, become space marines, which is quite ironic. Um, but he does remember sort of hearing music for the first time. It's like, it's like bit, I remember hearing that and thinking that was quite wild. Go, so it's a very Blood Angels thing as well. Like Zephon, he was like, he used to play piano and then he got his arms cut off and he couldn't play piano anymore and he was really annoyed about it. <laughs> oh, that's kind of pain. Um, but luckily Callistorus would go on to be a fully-fledged member of the Blood Angels. Uh, he would leave the bar system and he would go to wage war across the stars. He was often mentored by his good friend. Now, this guy, one of my favorite characters in Warham, by the way, but like not a main character. His name is Gaius Racilus, and he is also a librarian in the Blood Angels. This man, if you read the Mephiston book, is an absolute chad. This guy is like your best mate. He always comes through and he is just the most. He's like a he's actually quite an old Blood Angel. Not as old as Dante, but he's got like white hair, which is quite rare for a lot of space marines never get to that age but bit of a shame he doesn't have any art but it's like, oh. nah, unfortunately but raceless is like that kind of grumpy old dwarf <laughs> figure but he's a ma- he's a ripped blood angel and he's like oh. <laughs> the grumpy dwarf vampire okay <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. he's a he, he's a chad and uh Calistaris was just as a side note he was actually quite well liked and he was known for being a very warm and bright person he enjoyed many good friendships with uh, figures known as Reclusiarch Quirinus and Apothecary Albinus. I think Albinus is still, uh, I think you can play him still on tabletop. He's the, um, well, the head of the sanguine, sanguinary priests, the ones who are like the apothecaries for Blood Angels. I think he's the... Oh, the, because um, uh, I'm thinking of Corbulo, who's like, yeah, the uh, the apothecary equivalent, what they're called. Aren't they just sanguinary priests? I think so, yeah, but he's playable on tabletop and... Basically, everyone liked Calistarius. He was the Joey of all, like, the Friends cast, essentially. Not, I mean, a bit smarter. Um, but eventually... <laughs> Calistarius came in and went, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Turns out to the Slaneshi. Oh, God. The Joey or the Fonz? <laughs> no, that's, that is Joey. How you doing? Isn't it? I've never seen Friends. You've never. Neither have I. <laughs> I've never seen it either. <laughs> ah, it's oh my yeah. god. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a 30-year-old lady. Um, yeah, I it doesn't seem like something I'd like. God, you, people would. Jesus. Okay, enjoy this. There's the no TV show all the time. Really, for real. Jesus. <laughs> where's, no the, where's the swords and the dragons and the guns yeah, and the amen. space? I mean, you don't watch as an adult. You went to watch as a kid because there's nothing else on TV. Pain. Uh, <laughs> when when my sister was watching Ross in Friends, I was watching Ross in Band of Brothers because that's the better version. <laughs> 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 different Ross with PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he didn't make it to the, the front lines in that, didn't he? He got no, he no. Quit. He got um. No, he didn't get to the post then, did he? No, they got mm. mutinied. I think he did. I ho silver. I also haven't seen Band of Brothers. Yeah, neither have I. I'm not surprised by Colin. Um, <laughs> but event- eventually, Calistarius would be, as Anna said earlier, he'll be attached to the first company, Lexicanium Calistarius, to enter the. Space Hulk, the Sin of Damnation, which, by the way, that name, Sin of Damnation, does go hard. I appreciate that one. And this will be where Calistarius will be asked to delve into the mind of an ancient comatose blood angel. Supposedly, he had um, been injured here like centuries and centuries ago. So he's been in like sort of, you know, uh, space where can enter a comatose state. 
and preserve themselves, but Vespario would never um, survive these wounds, unfortunately. And as Caris, sorry, as Calistaris was delving into Vespario's mind, he saw the manner in which he had been attacked and survived, because there was a somewhat mystery to it, because he had obviously been in battle, but then he'd locked himself in like a locker room area. So, but it only could be done from the inside, which was bizarre. So everyone's working out how could this mystery come about. And they were kind of running out of time on this space Hulk. And eventually Calistaris would uh, push deeper into his mind and he would see the truth that there was a gene stealer cult. That's right. Four armed emperor time. They would be on the space Hulk hidden in the depths and they had created a gene stealer hybrid from a navigator. So that was incredibly dangerous because yeah. something that powerful uh, could not be allowed to live. And Calistaris would eventually lead the Blood Angels to go slay this beast. For sad, sad for Eli here for the um, Gene Sealers. They got crumbed. They cry. But uh, unfortunately, Calistaris wouldn't leave this encounter without some mental scars, as when he delved into Vespario's mind. Vespario had been afflicted by the Black Rage, and a little bit of that had sort of uh, affected Calistaris's mind. Um, just does anyone want a brief explanation? Um, I thought maybe one of you guys could explain very briefly what the Black Rage is, perhaps to someone new. Has anyone got a good idea? Because I thought it'd be quite cool if um, someone else. I, had a- I know a lot of people <laughs> get tripped up between the dis- between the distinction of the Black Rage and the Red First. I'd uh good okay cool. mind if I give it a shot? Yeah, go. For I it. actually okay. know this. Uh, so the Black Rage is that the uh, as all Space Marine Legions do, the Blood Angels had their Primarch when they were a Legion, not a chapter, and his name was Sanguinius. And uh, when he died to his brother Horus, it was such a brutal and violent death, and the culmination of years of betrayal that uh, it left a psychic back uh, aftershock. That's a good word, I think. Yeah. Uh, on Sanguinius's entire bloodline. Uh, so now, if you have Blood Angel's gene seed in you, you suffer from the Black Rage, which is where you get angrier and angrier. And eventually, you start to think you are Sanguinius on the bridge of the Vengeful Spirit, Horus's flagship. And uh, everyone in front of you starts to look a whole lot like Horus. And you basically relive that fight on the Vengeful Spirit. Culminating, of course, in whoever kills you. Uh, in your mind, it replays as Horus finally slaying Sanguinius, who is now you. Yeah, it's uh, which it's quite okay. Sorry, which is I'm really curious as to the logistics of that. You know, <laughs> just like how many Horuses can you see before something goes like yeah, clicks? Um, like that ain't that ain't right. I know, I know. There's like a distinction where some some people say if there's other blood angels, if there's other blood angels around you, you'll see them as blood angels, and you'll kill mm-hmm. everyone who isn't a blood angel that looks like Horus. But if you're surrounded by just blood angels, they'll start to look like Horus, and it kind of has a like a tier list almost of priorities. <laughs> and then like uh, there's a really good visual representation of it in the Angels of Death uh, series where Kazarion who's a veteran of the Death Watch, comes back from the Death Watch after like not having anyone help him with the Red First and the Black Rage. And the first episode, there's like a scene where he's praying in front of the altar of Sanguinius and he's seeing Horus and he's this big shadowy figure and there's red mist everywhere. And he's like continually battling these visions of Horus. And it's, it's really cool. It's a pretty... It's at some point 
if the Blood Angel does live long enough, eventually there will be uh, an interaction with the Black Race. They all feel it within them. And unfortunately, yeah. uh, Calistorius, since this event, would start to exhibit signs of seeing visions of Horus, so it would kind of slip out in conversation. Um, his friend uh, Quirinus, uh, Reclusiarch Quirinus, he started to become a bit concerned. He's watching over his friend, and then there's even a scene where like they're about to do a invasion on a world, and then I think Calistorius says, we'll finally you know eliminate them, and then we can kill Horus. And then he goes, wait, what? I mean, kill the enemy. So it, it slips out in certain conversations and then it's it's obviously clearly starting to take over. And unfortunately, though, um, eventually it just, it was building and building. And even his friend Quirinus, good good friend who was promised to watch over him, unfortunately he would be lost in the warp. His ship would be lost during this time. And so he didn't even have that friend to rely on. And eventually, Jeez. I don't know, it's a bit, so what's that, sorry? I just said, geez. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a slow decline for Calistarius because he was like he didn't he, he probably could have gone on a bit longer if he hadn't done the de- you know the sort of thing with Vespario. But he, I mean, it's, it is inevitable for them all. Unfortunately, some fight it better than others, better than others. And mm. after fighting the Black Rage for decades, unfortunately, Calistarius would fall to the Black Rage, and he would be assigned into the Death Company. And he would fight on many different battlefields, just essentially lost to the raids. The Death Company is essentially led by Death Company chaplains, and they are basically just directed maniacs. And they kind of really, they have to like the chaplains like sing Blood Angel hymns to like essentially calm them down for like just brief moments. Um, but and, and there's an interesting again, like an, they recently uh, on Warhammer Plus released a, a solo episode of a, a Blood Angel that gets completely subsumed in the rage, and then Gazarian and Chaplain Raphael have to go and find him. And from that episode, it seems that like the, the regular Blood Angels don't know about it because when they discover him, like Raphael has to shoot uh, his name's Lucretius in the head, and then Kazarian's like, "Wait a minute, this is what." this leads to this is what we become and then the chaplain's like yeah we we swear an oath and he kills the guy and he's like the report is he died a hero that is the report and he's like yeah he died with honor and it's it's really interesting that they have this inner turmoil that they they don't talk about and they have to keep secrets so the rest of the the main battle companies don't i suppose spiral quickly more quickly mm-hmm. into the black rage ignorance is worse their chaplains, like their high chaplains, are basically in charge of as well, like eliminating those who fall to yeah. the Black Rage. So it's a pretty. Mm-hmm. There's there are some Blood Angels out there. I think it's um Astorath the Grim. He literally just kills Blood Angels at this point. Mm. So it's a pretty hard uh, existence. Um, it's okay, sorry? as as much as I very much you know as you know enjoy the jokier side of Warhammer. I mean, case in point, you can phrase this as the ultimate expression of daddy issues. Uh, it really is quite just a grim, depressing thing, especially once you learn about it, because I imagine the whole time you're going to be like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And then maybe it happens to you and you go nuts, or maybe, arguably worse, it happens to your best friend and you're just left to live with that. Like, fuck. Yeah. But yeah, there's an interesting thing with like uh, the, the Angels of Death series where it's two characters, the two sergeants, Kazarian and Ancaeus. And Kazarian, for the whole series, is struggling with the Black Rage and the Red First. And Ancaeus is the strong brother who's like, we're going to get through this, we're going to get through this. And then, like, the last episode, Kazarian gets 
seemingly killed, but he survives, and all the squad of the Blood ra- uh, Blood Angels die. And then Ancaeus, as the last survivor, he just he's been strong the whole series, not shown any signs of the Black Rage, and he just goes, "All right, I'm gonna go ragey time," and and he fights a Tyranid Patriarch and he kills it. And so it's like it makes you super strong, but it 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 can just come out of nowhere sometimes. If if you're in a dire situation, the more stress the easier it is to to trigger the black rage. I do think it also, as much as like, I think some of the other writers allude to it, it is a sort of thing where um, they allude to it like it was, say if you have like older family members and then possibly like things like, I mean, obviously a sensitive topic, but like things like dementia and things like that. It's one of those things where it's like a haunting like end Mm -hmm. coming and it's like they're all a bit, once they know of it, they're quite... Uh, a lot of them get very somber so it's, that's why it's a lot kept under wraps and also the Imperium doesn't like um, deviancy shall we say in terms of you know you're meant to be the Emperor's angels sort of thing and the Inquisition could look in um, but <laughs> the Blood they, Angel's already going around drinking people's blood and that's kind of oh that's the first level of keep it hush hush yeah. and then there's this extra layer and then there's more and more and you're like oh it keeps getting worse <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if that's ever let any of them spiral further when they realize like we have two bloodline curses and one of them is is like psychic in nature we can never get rid of that one mm-hmm. well i mean it's all gonna I and mean, they, they do counterbalance it with much of their noble acts but uh like you know with their artistry and things so there's 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 a sort of point to that i will explain later because it actually implies into mephiston's uh story but as uh, for Calistarius now, he essentially is just, he's in the Death Company and he's essentially just a raving lunatic who uh, is sent from Warzone to Warzone. And he would eventually be sent to the Second War of Armageddon, where my boy Yarrick fighting. Good. Uh, if anyone's read the book with Yarrick um, on the War in Armageddon, probably one of the better Warhammer books I ever made. It's so, because it's, it's all done from the human perspective and it's so good. Is that Chains of Golgotha? Uh, I think it's the one before that, unfortunately. I think it's something insane, oh, okay. if I remember. Uh, Chains of Golgotha is when he gets captured by... Um, oh, okay. Oh, my God. What was the orc's name? Um, Gazgol. And he basically just yells at him, like, you, I'll kill you. And he's, like, just smiling back at him. It's odd. Um, <laughs> but essentially, yeah, um, in the Death Company, Kalistaris is just fighting in the middle of a massive orc swarm. He is still using his psychic powers at this time, but it's just kind of a rampaging fiend. And... Eventually, the orcs just kind of almost overpower him, but then a large building, I think it's the Ecclesiarchy building in the area, just gets um, blown up, and essentially all the debris falls on top of him, and it buries the orcs and him underneath a mountain of rubble. And this would be where the raging Calistarius was stuck. He was in this state where he's desperately trying to get out, but then the Black Rage is taking over his mind. He's still somewhere in there, and he's eventually... Because he's actually sat down like and he's forced to confront it he manages to sort of slowly physically claw his way up towards the surface but then also in a mental way he pushes the black rage down and down and after seven days of just literally just crawling and lit and then obviously in his own soul crawling his way back he does emerge on top of it and he conquers the black rage he no longer feels angry but Calistarius was not the man who stood on the ruins of Hades Hive. It was someone new, someone who called himself Mephiston. And a slight caveat here, 
you're probably thinking, why has he called himself Mephiston? When he emerged from the rubble, he was basically a different person. And he'd like, the way he sees it is Mephiston is like the name of his soul. So Calistaris doesn't make sense to him anymore. And I would explain a little bit more of that, but if, essentially Mephiston is born here. So it literally says like a, it's a rebirth. It is like a new person. And Mephiston sprouts his psychic black wings and he essentially soars across the battlefield. He is empowered beyond belief and he starts eviscerating orcs just because he can. He's kind of exploring his new power until he feels like a psychic presence try to enter his mind. And he is pissed, like immediately, like someone has the audacity to do this to him. And so he flies down next to this shrine and he almost kills the man who is trying to enter his thoughts, only to see his old mentor, Gaius Racelus. My boy, he's back because he was uh, part of the other Blood Angel contingent forces here. And he last saw Calistarius lost the Black Rage like, for a long time. And now he looks upon this, well, what was once a very handsome and good-looking uh, sort of blood angel. All the, as a side note, all the blood angels, when they have the uh, Sanguinis' gene seed, like, plays within them, they all become, like, more beautiful and, like, more sort of, uh, like, statuesque, kind of like Sanguinis. It, like, transforms them. So Ugly Kai was definitely saved on that. He had a bit of a facelift. He's <laughs> uh, got that blood angel Botox going. He definitely had a... <laughs> if everyone remembers in the UK, it was it Gokwan. He had the kind of Gokwan transformation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good a UK reference there. Um, but um, essentially... <laughs> When Raceless now looks upon, it's like, oh, Calistarius, you're back. You, you conquered the Black Rage. And then he looks upon him and his face is like gaunt and it's terrifying. And it's like a kind of weird, like deathly calmness to his face. And he looks terrible. Like, he, he is literally like, whoa. And he, didn't and he look speaks as, like this instead of how he yeah, used to he speak. He doesn't look quite as beautiful as he did before, but in like a, he still does, but in a kind of like terrifying vampire way. And, Mephiston tells Raceless that Calistarius is dead and he's now in his place. And this is where it kind of makes sense is that Mephiston, uh, he is Calistarius, but it's almost like he watched Calistarius' life, like it was watching someone's life through a TV. And he, so he knows everything that's happened to Calistarius, but it doesn't feel like him. He does feel like a new person. He just, he's just filled with the memories of, Calistarius mostly but he knows he's not Calistarius it feels like that's like someone else essentially and he's like almost taken over his body but he hasn't and Raceless he looks within this Mephiston he's a bit uh, you know he's a bit odd um, but he sees like a sliver of Calistarius like still in there but he also recognizes that this is a this is a blood angel who's conquered the black rage which has never been done in the in the 10,000 years of the Blood Angels history, and so he sort of accepts him, and he says, "You know, you're, in, you know, still my friend in a way, and I accept you, and you're, you mean you're like something special to the chapter because you've obviously conquered the, our curse." And Mephiston would now rejoin the chapter, um, but unfortunately, many of them were unnerved by him. Like even just, I think it's a really cool point here. Even Dante, the chapter master. He's not scared of much in this universe, but he's actually scared of Mephiston whenever he's in the same room as him. But it's not like he's trying to intimidate Dante. He's just being around Mephiston kind of makes you go, oh, like makes like the hair in the back of your neck stick up. So that's 
But so they're all a little bit like. It's, okay, sorry. It's like being in the same room as like a primed nuclear warhead. It's like you know it's not going <laughs> to go off unless you make it go off. But it's still there. It's it's still a bomb. Be hoping that no one drops their phone or something. Go drop my phone. <laughs> they do like they recognize like he is got a massive power boost and obviously uh when they speak to him like he there is no rage within him they don't sense like a kind of he literally is like he's undead he's sort of very like low and he's very like calm most of the time and but a lot of them are kind of terrified by what mephiston represents because it's like that's what happens when we come back from the black raids like that's not what i thought would be a cure um, but this Mephiston would be accepted and he would go on to prove himself. Uh, Mephiston as a character now is, because obviously he's not Calistarius, he is actually exceptionally cunning and quite ruthless, but not, like he's not ruthless where he like chucks civilians at a situation, but he will very much just, civilians are around the area. I have to eliminate that threat and he will launch himself at it. He's not necessarily a salamander, um, but he does, he will essentially be the weapon he needs to be and eventually he does earn the rank of chief librarian after this i remember when i was researching this before i'm thinking like when does he become chief librarian because it takes <laughs> because it's never actually mentioned but it is like somewhat implied that it's after he becomes mephiston mephiston becomes the um chief <laughs> could you imagine though you're the you're the chief librarian at the time and then mephiston comes out and you see him in a few battles just laying waste to hordes of and you're like he's making me look a bit small uh, i give up yeah i'm going back to like normal ranks you can you can be the chief librarian now yeah, still still, <laughs> still stretched like, i'm just warming up bro trust me like you know I'll, 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 yeah, yeah yeah a bit like oh my god my back um but this mephiston was something different um a brief caveat like when he was very early on as mephiston i think it was at 977 m41 the demon umkar it's not like okay like that character um <laughs> but it's definitely not um he did trap mephiston in the crystal caves on solon 5 he attempted to lure mephiston into joining uh chaos but again like mephiston is very much even though there's the power of the black rage within him it's a tool it's not a curse for him and he very much rejects any demon um sort of uh, treaties or temptations and he basically literally throttles mcar out of existence it's really cool and decades later though is his chief librarian mephiston he's out there in the galaxy with a contingent of blood angels and they would find a broken blood angels vessel drifting in space and it was swarming with your boys the word bearers the ones who know the true uh faith of the yeah <laughs> of the boy universe, the Never true see. faith um <laughs> Not the Emperor's false faith. Um, <laughs> and Mephiston and his allies would uh, cleanse those on board. Hashtag cleanse it because uh, they're pretty aggressive. You know what I mean? Even though they're word bearers, everyone's scared of blood angels because they're pretty hard hitting. And they would eventually come across a figure who had been missing for a very long time. It was Reclusiarch Quirinus. If everyone remembers earlier, this was a good friend slash um, even before they were both Lexicaniums or Reclusiarchs, they were they were friends as Callistarius and Quirinus. And Quirinus has been lost essentially on a doomed ship for a long time. And when he finally sees his rescuers, he's like, oh, my chapter. He sees a gaunt looking, haunting, 
uh, like figure with a flayed muscled armor and it's the chief librarian Mephiston and he's confused because you're meant to be Calistarius and he's like I'm not Calistarius I'm Mephiston he talks different he's much more powerful he acts completely different and it's like a sort of past meeting future situation the group would eventually join forces and they would go chase the word bearers down but it was very clear that Quirinus, as much as like he was a very good friend of Calistarius, he despises this Mephiston and he calls him like an abomination because he's a reclusiarch. He's basically a chaplain and he thinks in a way like very differently to what the ideals of essentially a uh, descendant of Sanguinius should look like or behave like. And this group would eventually track down their enemy to the planet of uh, Philen, I think. Uh, oh, sorry. They pla- tapped them down to a planet, sorry, and it was filled with a massive, like, weird arrangement of, like, Astarte statues. But these are, like, very ancient ones, so they're, like, they're very old armor patterns. And they would eventually battle some cultists on this world, fighting a few more word bearers, clean them up very easily. And they would eventually find this relic of Sanguinius. And when they all see it, they kind of fall to their knees in worship. Like, they all, like, so they literally cry some of them, because it's so beautiful. It's like a representation of Sanguinis. It's clearly from the uh, the Great Crusade era. And everyone is just in awe, except Mephiston. When he looks at the relic, he thinks something's a little bit off about it. He's like, he's like everyone's at a restaurant and everyone's eating food. And he's got like, I got the same meal, but everyone is like really talking out of their ass. Like, this is not good. <laughs> Essentially, he, he thinks everyone is like, sniffing like the wrong soup essentially like he's just something's up um but this actually draws more condemnation from Quirinus because he just basically goes see you don't really you're not really a true blood angel you don't look upon this and then see the he's calling him a poser in the most obnoxious way (laughs) essentially essentially, yeah he's sort of um making well it sort of creates a split because a lot of the blood angels in a way do feel like Mephiston is a little bit other although as much as you think, oh, this must hurt his feelings, like for Paul Mephiston, because everyone treats him like an outsider, he's not really affected by it because he sees it as them, like, sort of condemning Calisterius or Calistarius. And so he doesn't really see it like, oh, they're not they're not my friends who are rejecting me. They're like someone else's. So it's, it's, it's like a bunch of strangers being judgmental and you don't really care. Um, but he's not, like, completely emotionless. He's just a little bit, I think... Um, out of it in terms of all the the drama he, he's not part of the the uh the tea club essentially he's not interested the artist formerly known as calisterius does the not artist formerly known <laughs> as calisterius. um unfortunately this mephiston is right something is not up and eventually this planet this they're um situated on it begins to rumble and split magma spews up as the slain dead around them was actually uh Done on, it, they were thrown at them on purpose to power up a ritual. So all this blood that coalesces and it eventually brings the demon prince Doombreed into real space and he begins attacking the blood angels. And this is one of my favourite parts. The statues around them, like in this sort of um, destroyed area, they start to crack open and they're revealed to be like ancient blood angels who long ago were like lost to the Black Rage and they froze themselves in place as a sacrifice to bind Doombreed until now. So the blood angels, the blood angels essentially get attacked by their own. And they kind of, Doombreed like does taunt them like, this is your ultimate fate. You know, you join 
join corn you know corn's got wednesdays off you know hawaiian t-shirts on friday stuff like that um yeah. <laughs> does, he, does he look like a bull is that I, it makes me think about like a minotaur type name i, don't I know. hope so hmm. doom breed is uh i think one of the older demons in warhammer law like it's an early edition stuff um so he's not really mentioned that much i think he, i don't think he's even in the horror heresy that's that's one of the 50 greater demons he fought from the quiz right alongside pippa and gura oh god you disgust me <laughs> um but during this uh battle mephiston because he's powered up and he s- spreads his psychic black wings and he just launches himself at this demon prince and they kind of it's a really funny moment they're just like two like he's like a little gnat essentially <laughs> Mephiston and he's like flying at this much bigger thing but obviously he's way powered up so they, they're they just like wrecking the place they're flying around they both have wings and they're just like hitting each other in uh, like the space while magma flies everywhere eventually Mephiston would win it was quite hard fought Vitaris made a stunning appearance because Vitaris was just absolutely crunking this thing I don't know how Vitaris holds up to be honest because he just takes a lot of punishment There'll be some shenanigans with Necrons later, which I'll mention. It'll be very cool. And um, he eventually banishes uh, Doombreed back into the warp. Unfortunately, it's not stuck in place like the ritual, but it is what it is. And during this battle, Quirinus, his old friend, would begin falling to the Black Rage. He'd obviously been alone too long, like what Andy said with the um, Angels of Death stuff. It was just sometimes you don't have a brother to rely on. It can really catch up to you. And Mephiston encourages him to, like, fight the Black Rage, but Quirinus kind of, like, with a last of his, like, sanity, like, holding on, he's, like, really forcing it. He just says, like, he basically rejects Mephiston. He says the Black Rage is, like, a holy gift of, like, you know, it's it's literally the last act of our gene father. I wouldn't want to ever become like you, which obviously is, like, quite sad for what would have would have been Calistaris, but Mephiston kind of just takes it on the chin because he's, like, that, he's, like, that would have been sad for Calistarius, but I'm not him. And eventually, poor old Quirin has forced the Black Rage and is shipped off to join the uh, good old Death Companies. Very, it's, it's a bit of a sad ending because like, there's no real victory in this like that first sort of conflict there, but uh, things get worse uh, because we next join Mephiston on the world of Thermia. Uh, Mephiston and the Blood Unions are evacuating the world because, okay, I don't remember the name of this Xenos, but it's one of the coolest ones I've seen where essentially it's like a multiplying fungi um, creature. It's like in like white sort of globules. And when they touch like flesh, they essentially take over and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So the Imperium's just given up on this planet and the Blood Angels are helping evacuate the people. And Mephiston is just there to assist the evacuation like with all the other Blood Angels. But he's like not on the ground, so you kind of start the book with um, that all the blood demons going, "Oh, where's the where's the cheer librarian?" And then you just hear like the ripping guitar music. He's like he's over there, and just this guy on like black wings is just like soaring in. Because <laughs> at this point, there's like a tide of like um, running like uh, like sort of running weird bulging like humanoid xenos like in like a horde running towards the survivors you can just hear free bird solo kicking off in the background as mephiston just plunges just like carving into pieces anyone remembers like early attack on titan how some of the titans run like a bit weirdly it's like that essentially the xenos and mephiston just soars in and he's just like laying carpets of fire everywhere 
and all the other people. There's like, a superhero landing and everything. He actually does. <laughs> it was hard. I'm not even joking. He does actually, and he's just like cleaning it up. Like you probably think he probably could take on the entire planet, but there's just too many of them. So he's just kind of he's essentially he's the heavy artillery, and he's burning the Xenos in their thousands, and eventually he sort of leads to a temple ground. And this is where Lucius Anthros, who's actually the pupil of Mephiston, so he's one of the younger generations, which, as a side note, is interesting now because a lot of the... Obviously, space marines don't really live forever. A lot of them die very early on, even. So, like, not not a lot of them make it to be veterans. And so this is, like, a new generation of uh, Blood Angels who only know of Mephiston. Like, most people now have never even heard of Calistarius or remember him. So it's kind of like, that's how much time has passed. And Lucius Anthros, uh, another Lexicanium, would, uh, or Psycho, sorry, for people who are new, he would find his lord in a tornado of black fire. Like Essentially, the Xenos will throw themselves at him, and he's just, like, clawing black flame everywhere. And he looks at his uh, mentor's face, and it's like, oh, God, that is horrifying. It's literally like a snarling beast. So a lot of the, like I said, a lot of the Black Rage stuff is kept secret, but Mephiston is using it here as a weapon. So he's not really angry. He's actually just contorted with the power of the Black Rage. And he can see that his master is sort of losing control. And this would eventually lead to, lead to a confrontation back on their homeworld of Baal. They would enter this like really special blood chamber. I'll do like another side note. The world building on... Um, the Blood Angels homeworld in a lot of these books is amazing. So they have like these weird sort of Indiana Jones, like sort of tunnels and architectural uh, like museums, like like hidden in deep in like vaults beneath Baal. There's even like these weird guardians to like some of the uh, librarian quarters where they essentially, they look like space marines, but they wear like different armor and they essentially guard that area forever. And they don't go out ever. And they're like, even mm-hmm. the space marines look at them, they go, oh, that's a, they're like terrifying. And there's like mosaics and there's like, essentially the blood angels, you think the blood ravens have stolen a lot of artifacts. The blood angels have got things created by <laughs> 10,000. I was just imagining Dante angels. just going, it belongs in a museum and then charging into battle. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too far off, to be fair. And um, Mephiston and our boy, our, our Chad Raceless, they bring Lucius Anthros into the fold, essentially. They show him this, like this, when I said the blood chamber earlier, it's filled with, like, there's like aspects of blood within it that like sort of create visions and um, allow them to like scry and things like that. There's even like a side note as well, like Mephiston's personal chambers is actually filled with like the old, like dead bodies, like the old chief librarians of the chapter. So they all like, they had their genes he'd removed but they essentially like their bodies like their corpses like still talk to them so it's like a weird yeah, it's... <laughs> i just had like that scene of like him having a tea party with all the corpses it's like oh and how are we <laughs> just having with little like little teacups in their hands moving them around psychically in his off time it is quite cool though because there's a bit where like they do talk to mephiston there's even a bit where uh, Lucius like enters into his personal chambers and you can hear like the voices and they're like judging him <laughs> a bit because like you know they're all essentially the wisdom of the blood angels is always there because every like chief librarian essentially guards so it's not him being insane it's just they actually can inhabit their former bodies psychically and be like yeah. right so essentially the ghost of the let's... chapter is there yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool and um 
they are in this chamber with um, Raceless and, Meph- and Mephiston. Anthros gets the sort of the download of what's been going on. So he ex- this explains he gets like a vision of how Kalistaros became Mephiston. So he sees a vision of Hades Hive, and then they start to show why something's going wrong with Mephiston. Essentially, Mephiston's powers are growing like constantly. And he starts to show like black flames like rippling underneath his armor. And he's struggling to contain his power. Like he's losing, he's not falling to the black rage necessarily, but the power keeps going beyond what he can even control with it. Um, but they have a plan because something has come up recently, which has changed a lot of uh, events and has put things into motion. Uh, it'll be an artifact called the Blade Perific, which is on an sorry, is an ecclesiarchy artifact that could possibly help contain his power and then obviously make him an even more potent weapon for the Imperium. And the only problem is, is that this artifact is on a world which is completely lost. Like they don't know where it is in terms of it should be here and it's not here. Um, it's supposedly literally veiled by the warp itself. Like something is intentionally hiding it. But, and that's what they've been, that, that's the problem they've had so far. But luckily something else has happened which has allowed them to find it. Because Mephison, the boy himself, like when they've been back on Baal, has been sending him his soul into the warp, um, like alone, completely, like essentially flying past demons. And he's actually found this planet and he's brought someone back with him. And it's I feel so bad for this guy <laughs> yeah. because he he brings back like a ecclesiarchy priest or a random one on the planet. <laughs> literally goes like yoink, and this guy goes, I literally just traveled through the warp to be transported back to Baal. And I'm like, he doesn't like, want this. Yeah, he's like this, like sheesh. It's like, oh my god, it's like the worst experience ever. Um, <laughs> just Dante, just just going up to Dante, being like, hey Dante, look at this thing. There's just like a little this guy screaming, going, ah. <laughs> yeah, this Poor guy man. is not. I think he, if I remember correctly, he, I think he is a little bit of chaos taint on him as well. That's how he's able to find him. And basically Mephiston went, mine, just went yoink. And when he, when he actually like sees Mephiston like properly, he literally gets like terrified. He's like, oh my God, that's the most haunting thing I've ever seen. Literally a vampire in my face. And Mephiston, our, our boy race, I'm going to say every time, our boy race, because by the way, when uh, they were telling Anthros, like, or Anthros, sorry, of, um, Mephiston's like condition Raceless is like the old he's older than Mephiston and like Calistaris by quite a bit but he sort of is a very overprotective friend and he's sort of he's really grumpy because he's actually like very protective of his friend so he's very much like a kind-hearted guy in the end he and he always like backs Mephiston up and he's always there for him Sorry, I just love him. Can I have any opportunity? Making it sound like a sitcom. Just like Mephiston. (laughs) He's not such a bad guy. (laughs) Mephiston at this moment does not deserve him, I imagine. Kind of and kind of not, because he's not evil, but Mephiston is not very. Let's say he's evil. He's not very warm, but he still protects the innocent and things like that. He's just. It's just when the people he's see him, very misunderstood. It's a little bit of this salamander's problem, where like he's not as nice as salamander, but you know people are scared of salamanders when they take their helmets off because he's not any more evil than any given person in the Imperium is. No, not really. Um, but there are some cool moments that will kind of humanize him in a bit. Um, and essentially, this poor priest that he's dragged from this planet—they use him as an anchor, and then like some of the ecclesiarchy of like 
come to talk to Mephisto and being like, help find our planet. He's like, sure, I was going there anyway. And eventually this priest goes, oh, you know, you know, that's a horrible experience. And then he goes like, yeah, we're going back. And then essentially <laughs> they're using him as like an anchor point because he's like t- connected to the world now. And so they use, um, they're using him as a ritual point to help open up a massive tear within the uh, confines of Baal. Uh, this doesn't go well immediately. Like Nurgle demons like trying to crawl out and they immediately attack the Librarius within their own, like literally on Baal, they attack them within their inner sanctums and they do manage to battle them back for a bit. And this is where they finally use the ritual and they teleport themselves just literally through the warp, which is actually extremely dangerous. So it's probably why you haven't heard a lot of other uh, like lore times when they do this. And also it's implied that it's only really capable with Mephiston because he is so powerful to be used to like yeah, I know ritual. the I know the Grey Knights can shunt themselves through the wall, but that's because they're the Grey Knights. It's like we're supposed to be the only ones who can do that. But like Mephiston, okay, he gets a free pass. <laughs> yeah, he, he. I guess the he kind of is the equivalent to a pack of, or a, a, I guess a cluster of Grey Knights. Essentially, he's used to help um, empower this ritual. And just as a small note here, teleportation, no matter what it is in Warhammer, it's never quite perfect. And even if some of the people who have listened to the Horus Heresy, there's even that scene in uh, Shattered Legions where, like, all the Shattered Legions huh? who, like, they they survive Istvan, a few of them, they regroup, and they go on to attack, like, the traitor forces, but they're using reckless moves, like teleportation. And, like, when they teleport, I think it's um, Shadrach Medusin, like, teleports from the Iron Hands. Um, he teleports onto a Sons of Horror ship, I think it is. And some of the Raven Guard with him just end up in the structure of the, like... Yeah, because they're at that point where yeah. they're like, well, our Primarch's dead already. We might as well just do whatever we can, even if we die trying. They've, they've got yeah. nothing to lose. So it's pretty... Huh? I mean, to survive Isvan, to then go down, like, essentially because your head was mm. then in the middle of a metal <laughs> you, you tell it, It's like a Minecraft chunk error happened. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Well, Although, Hal, you're forgetting something. Teleportation isn't perfect, unless you're the Necrons or Leagues of Otan. Yeah, really. <laughs> True. Um, especially if it's warp teleportation. Um, there's also an awful bit here where and like they're all not teleported perfectly together, so they actually don't end up on the right planet initially, and they have to do it again. <laughs> um, but This is like the idea of Mephiston going, whoops, and then back in. <laughs> Essentially it is, but the first time it happened... Like they're with a squad of uh, blood angels, and Anthros sees the blood blood angel in front of him get teleported. Like, and essentially his torso is in the middle of the ground, and like a puddle of blood just starts to fall out. And he's like, "Oh!" Literally, he teleports like his body halfway into the solid ground. So essentially, that does remind me of something I've seen where there's I've seen that happen in something. I can't what it is though. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a pretty and like the blood in is like crawling like to head like help me brother and it's like it's like oh my god and they haven't even got there yet and they do it again and essentially a few of the blood angels like three or four of them like just don't make it because they get essentially <laughs> teleported in the middle of objects that's how they die um but they do make it eventually to the planet and its name is divinus prime which is also a cool name and the like i said like, i think the blood angels books are really good world building the strange thing about this planet is it's basically entirely made of bone. And I mean, literally, like not as in like solid bone. I mean, as in piles and piles of bone is everywhere. 
So from little giant creatures that were probably the size of cities, like rib cages that literally come out of the ground and you can't see the top, to literally like small mammals and like reptiles and things like that. It's literally everywhere across this planet. So it's a really weird place and even weirder that it's an ecclesiarchy world apparently. So they've been um it is a really cool scene then also the sky that's what the sky sorry is uh something's really wrong with the sky like it's rippling and it's clearly like the warp shielding that's been happening to it. And this world unfortunately is caught within a civil war. There's been a religious uprising which has been secretly manipulated by uh Zinchin cultists and they eventually do make it to one of the last cities, um, the strongholds for the Imperial faction on this world. They have to go through this massive like corridor of like um, crucified uh, ecclesiarchy priests, which is like kind of like, oh God, it's a little bit haunting. But Mephiston just takes it with chess and he's like, we'll just keep, have to keep going, doesn't matter. And when they enter this sort of last bastion city, they do meet with, and funny enough, one of Mephiston's like old friends, a man whose name is Father... Orsuf, I think I'm getting that correctly. And I'm going to lie, this is like one of my favorite parts of the book because Orsuf, like, is a, he's, like, he's like a 90-year-old retired Imperial officer. And he actually remember he's fought with Mephiston since he was young. So it kind of makes you think, oh yeah, like Mephiston's, again, like I said earlier, he's been around like as Mephiston for quite a while. Mm. And uh, Anthros sees him interact with this um, like... He's called Father because, again, it's like an ecclesiarchy thing. So they're all become priests at this point. And it's the first time he actually sees Mephiston smile. And he's actually like quite warm and friendly with this guy. Because it's basically like, you know, best bud sort of thing. And like, you know, you remember that? And he's like, remember that conflict, Mephiston? He's like, I do. It was a good one, essentially. So it's quite a nice, <laughs> like, human building moment. Do you remember when you pulled that demon's head off with just your bare hands? Like, yeah, that was a good day. That was a good day. Good times. <laughs> yeah. He's a little bit, he's a little bit eccentric. So he's like, one of his eyes is like essentially a monocle, like, um, sort of zoom in like binocular thing and then he's a little bit hunched mm-hmm. over but as soon as he sees Mephiston he starts like like smiling like grinning ear to ear and he's like buddy what's up dude and he's like it's like good to see, good to see you buddy essentially so, Sharon look who it is we haven't seen him in ages oh get out of the fine china yay <laughs> let's have a takeaway I don't know yeah they kind of it's a nice moment where you go like oh yeah he actually has been serving around the Imperium he's actually not like as terrifying as everyone every, basically everyone gets lured into thinking he's the what everyone says about him rather than what he is and like he's actually come to he sensed uh father Orsos presence and he's come to him to help him work out the mystery of the blade perific because like they found like little symbols of it around there's like a trite a trident or like sorry three sword symbol that people are wearing it's like a holy uh like um pendant around it's like a very confusing plot to the overarching like planet like something's obviously clearly going on and unfortunately as this is happening Mephiston's power is still growing it's to, his time is like feels like it's running out they like black flames are starting to leak a bit more and he starts to like feel the black rage rise up again he's not really falling to it but it's kind of like essentially you know those videos like when a kid holds like a fire hydrant or like a fire hose thing and then it's clearly <laughs> the kid can't hold on tighter. <laughs> and, and then they're on a roller coaster yeah, and then, like the poor fireman has to try and grab it, and it's like slipping around like a snake. <laughs> that's the, that's essentially what it feels like. Um, they do eventually get ambushed, the Blood Angels, within the city. There's like this massive amphitheater filled with thousands of zealous people who've come to meet this 
uh, traveling priest, but it's actually a ploy by the heretics. And the it's quite funny when the priest comes out on stage because it, it, it does say in the book, he comes out with like that smile, which is like, hi guys. Like he's like a bit nervous <laughs> to be on stage, which I found really funny. Like he's not confident about what he's about to do, but he's like, oh, you know, guess I'll give heresy a try. Like, oh God. Um, <laughs> it's a little, a little, it's so fun. Like he like kind of rubs his hands together. And it's like, oh God, you know, it's a little bit like keeps you nervous. Um, but he eventually turns into a demon and it, you know, basically it, it kicks off and the fiston and the blood demons just dive in poor old raceless and, uh, Antros are there too. And, uh, the problem is like again, Mephiston, he doesn't feel like he can use his power to to his full extent. So he's actually struggling to put down this demon, even though normally he'd be fine. Um eventually the entire amphitheater, everyone gets turned into demons by like the little um pendants. They're actually little sort of uh warp powered infusions, like little kind of um what's it when they etch runes into the or essentially runes essentially, and they eventually get turned like blue and pink horrors. And the blood, like, Raceless and Andros are just caked in, like, gore because they're just, like, literally every swing is, like, three, four demons down. And eventually they fill the whole place with fire and Mephiston uses, like, the flame vortex to help burn all the delicious demons back away. And, you know, they're, they are victorious and they do discover the location of the Blade Perific. It's high up in the mountains and they quickly rush to the Guardian's aid. Sorry, the Guardians who are at the Relic Place find that they are a Sisters of Battle contingent. And they are essentially the Guardians of the Blade Perific who have been there in secret. And they join them because they're being attacked by a massive force of traitor guard. But they don't, they've been tricked. So they don't really know that they're traitors until too late. And then some demons uh, also appear. There's also a demon named uh, Zorambus, who's like a weird, twisted, like he looks like a sort of Bretonian knight. I know you're going to hate that, Colin. Um, he he looks like a sort of mm. Arthurian legend knight. Look, I don't, I don't hate King Arthur on principle. King Arthur's cool. I hate his bastard offspring from fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> but he does... Uh, Zoramba's like a weird figure, and he's obviously... It's implied that there are like multiple factions of Zinch playing a game and like competing for this artifact, and he's kind of loses his crap when Mephiston ends and he's like he's like sort of like a no I'm so annoyed like a bit of a Malfoy moment um from <laughs> uh the, the the battle between the two forces is pretty fierce like Mephiston is kind of losing his control a bit as he as like you know he's basically snapped off Vitaris and him and this Sarambus are essentially dueling it out and the even the sky above them literally collapses because the warp is failing around them. And it's a very hard book to follow at this point. I had to reread this a couple of times because it's a little bit confusing because it all happens a bit too quickly. Um, essentially, the sky starts to reflect the true earth that they're meant to be standing on. And they realize like, that actually the planet they're standing on is a demonic like reflection of the true Divinus Prime. So when the powers of the warp are starting to collapse because of the battle and like all the forces of Zinch are kind of losing their hold the true place they all have to like essentially jump and then they land on the, the true divinous prime above them and then the world just suddenly flips and the demon one disappears really hard to follow in the book by the way if you read this andy in the coming future um Eesh. but it is a it is a cool scene and they do finally get to the top of this uh mountain peak area 
and then they see the blade perific, but then unfortunately the last second is snatched away by some cultists. And Lucius Anthros is pissed because when he was there, he actually saw Mephiston let them go. And he starts with like a bit of doubt, like, are you a heretic? Like, why the hell did you do that? What the hell's wrong with you? Um, but Mephiston did actually, the problem is that Mephiston, when he arrived there, he used his powers and he looked at the relic and he saw that actually it was a dud, essentially. And it wasn't the real thing and it wouldn't solve his power rising problem. But he realized like there's obviously a massive, like something has, something's clearly amiss with this whole, whole event that's been happening. And it reeks of like this, like a, someone manipulating things behind the scene. It's clearly a game going on with like a Zinchian cult and maybe even architects behind that. And so he placed like a psychic, like, um, uh, what's it called? Like when someone wants to trace something, it's like a, uh, like, well, you know, like with spies, they put stuff on things like eventually trace it, a trace, that's it. Um, he was like a psychic trace, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of the word. It was like a psychic trace on the, um, blade perific, like from his mind. So he can therefore sort of, he lets it go just so then he can sort of then try and work out what's really going on. But it's obviously a little bit sad at the end of the book. It's like, he sort of accepts, like, I don't think there is a cure for my rising power, but I basically accept that and I'm okay with it because if I'm meant to die in the Imperial service, that it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. He doesn't say it in those exact words, but um, it is what it is. And don't worry, boys, we're, we're cracking through. I told you this is a long one. Uh, <laughs> I just like the idea of, like, Mephiston at the end of the book going, well, you know, sometimes... You've just got to bear with it and keep your chin up, everyone. And it's okay to have a bit of rage now and then. Just bottle it inside. <laughs> just have like one of those. <laughs> nice. at the end. No it's how a family. I think that's a Family Guy <laughs> bit. Punches <laughs> <laughs> the wall so hard he bleeds. No who wins a one v one? How does Mephiston or Caldor Trago come out on that? Um, I would say probably Caldor Trago, just because he's more built to fight psychic stuff. Whereas, like, Mephiston he's got the power of Matt Ward. I think Mephiston would do better <laughs> against mostly everything else, though. Like, he could beat hordes and hordes of tyrannies and things like that. I don't know. I'm still waiting for a buddy cop movie with Tigurius and Mephiston going through the That'd war. be awesome, That's what oh, I man. Watch. And then they just, like, you know, like that bit in um, Monsters, Inc., where they bump into the Abominable Snowman, and it's Caldor <laughs> Rego. Oh, like, that's what I want to see. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be what a funny. reference. Snow cones, anyone? Snow cones? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what flavor is that snow cone? Looks a little sus. Um. He's, he's, like, he's like moving a pile of rocks back and forth in a place like, where? This is the portal. How do we get back? <laughs> oh, that's, a good, that's an old film now. It's good, though. It's a lot of, <laughs> those films are so well written, they even hold up now, which is so cool. For real. Wizard of Oz is old, but it's still a classic. Oh, here Flying monkeys haunted my dreams. As I, hope, a kid. I hope you're not telling me Wizard of Oz isn't a classic. No, it's a classic, but it doesn't mean it's good. Yeah, I'm not really a fan Whoa. either. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, what do you mean I Wizard think it's just because the monkeys gave me nightmares when I was a kid. Well, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I guess out of every reason not to like it, that's fair enough. Okay, so, if everyone has seen some of the older James Bond films, I've watched no. every single James Bond film. They are all classics, but I've, some of the older ones, like there's like a definite tone of like, oh, this is old school, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, some of those, I mean, some of those Goldeneye is the only one you have to watch. Goldeneye is the best one. Mm. Hey guys, you don't have it read any horse heresy books? You yeah. haven't seen any <laughs> movies? <laughs> Correct, Eli. Uh, I've only seen the new ones, to be fair. Skyfall's good. Yeah, they're okay. 
Uh, speaking of Mephiston, though, not, not in James Bond <laughs> or having those attitudes, uh, Mephiston would next appear, sorry, appear at the Devastation of Baal. This is one of the best books in Warhammer. If you haven't, you can actually read this as a beginner. So if you are listening, you're like, I haven't, I don't really want to read like a, a Warhammer book. This is a pretty good one because it's a really. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to it yet, but it's kind of one of those classic, like if you're getting into it, this is a good one to start with. It's a, this is, we should, we probably have to do a full episode on this one day because there's just so much that happens, mm. but I'll try and go through mostly Mephiston's part, which is at the beginning of the book, he senses from the warp that Kabanda, the demon prince of corn is seeking to attack the blood angels. And he wants to try and kill all of them before high fleet Leviathan, the Tyranids, which are also attacking, basically wipes them out first. So there's like a three way, well, essentially two-on-one situation happening here and the blood angels are in deep crap he even mephiston even interrogates okay this i'm gonna butcher this name because it's so hard to pronounce he interrogates the octo which is an i should did it first time it's an ancient like <laughs> immortal xenos prisoner on ball who is they actually can't kill it. Like they try to, and they just keep it as like a. It's like a chaos corrupted. Um, it's a zoo animal. Essentially, it is sentient. <laughs> and it's, it's like a multi limb, like weird thing. <laughs> it has no other members of its race alive. It's it's a weird creature. And they kind of torture it once in a while for like information on chaos, but they'd be like, it's even <laughs> brother, brother Frederick, poke it with the sharp stick. Okay, <laughs> well, it's even cool enough. It's actually even it's guarded by a previous chapter so it's, it's guarded by a previous chief librarian who's who was injured by it and now is like in a dreadnought and he just stands outside guarding this thing because it's the thing that put him in the dreadnought in the first place funny enough um <laughs> but he has to guard it the entire time because it's just so dangerous and they kind of torture it for more information they could they basically work out commanders coming to attack the blood angels and this is a bad news so dante sends out the call and all of the chapters of blood answer it. So the blood angels, essentially, of all the divergent chapters, they reassemble back onto uh, the homeworld of Baal into literally like legion-sized numbers. It's a really cool moment. There's this. I have. To, I cannot. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. Probably one of the coolest scenes in Warhammer is where all of the various representatives of the different chapters, like the hall, is filled with thousands of them. And they essentially assemble for the meeting that they're about to have. And what is paraded in front of them is essentially the best of the blood angels. So they see like relics. They all like literally hold their breath because they're seeing like relics of um, the age of like Sanguinius is like when alive. Essentially, They see the last, there's a relic um, called the last feather of Sanguinius. And it has even like a bit of blood on it as well from when essentially... Uh, Nasir Amit, the flesh terror, sort of made it oh, after yeah. Sanguinius died. Eat shit, traitor! That guy. Yeah, they, <laughs> they parade out um, like old patterns, like their relic patterns of um, armor from different eras of the Blood Angels. They bring out all their relics, their banners, they're literally all of their sanguinary guard. They bring out Dante, Mephiston. Like everyone essentially is paraded in front of the other. Essentially, it's like a massive like showing off of what 
their bloodline is essentially. <laughs> I'm just I'm just envisioning like a, a Blood Angels equivalent of Antiques Roadshow, and it's like here we have the uh, 31st millennium uh, cup that Sanguinius used to drink out of, and you look on the bottom here, it's got the maker's mark, and they're all just like geeking out of it. And then meanwhile, the Tyranids are just getting ever closer. It's like guys, we're getting distracted. Can we like get on with it? <laughs> they're, they're, it's a little bit distracting, but it is a really cool scene because essentially like there's these all these chapters in different armor and they have all different looks and things like that but they all just kind of stare at this moment of like essentially the glory of the blood angels is put on display and dante like sits down wearing the mask of sanguinius and they all just go like it's like they all like nudge each other and go like oh my god oh shit you know what i mean like they kind of like lose <laughs> Look it. it is oh it's and my phone they, it is Click. like it's eerily <laughs> silent when they're all just essentially staring at the glory of like their bloodline. Cause some of them haven't even probably interacted with the blood angels for literally thousands of years. So this is like a, it's a massive moment. And it's really well done by Guy Haley, the author. It's a really cool scene. I'm not, I've not even done it justice here, but if you ever read that book, you'd be like, Oh my God. And, uh, where was I? So they have this massive sort of, <laughs> just basically this like, massive display scene. And they say like, you know, Tyranids are coming and we need to stop them. But then Mephiston is given his secret mission because he doesn't want, they don't want to let the rest of them know what's really like, if they knew about Kabanda coming as well, with like essentially the forces of Korn, it's like, oh crap. So Mephiston is actually, he's given carte blanche to do whatever he can to stop Kabanda. And he even asked Dante, like, I could do anything I want. And he just goes, just do what you need to do. And he's like, okay. Because they're about to do something which is a little bit heretical. So... They takes he takes a contingent of all of the um, different psychers from many of the chapters, so like they're all in like different armor and they follow Mephiston into the crystal caves of Baal. There's a cool scene to fair when they're they're trying to fly there, and there is obviously the shadow and the warp from the Tyranids, so they're a little bit like dulled in power at this point, and essentially they get attacked by flying Tyranids like in the initial invasion, and Mephiston goes, "I got this." He literally like open the back door and he eventually flies out with his wings and starts crunking her uh, tyrannies in the air and all the other like psychos are going oh my god and then all the other blood angels are like yeah that's my boy like you know what i mean like, that's, that's what, we got. <laughs> what is that thing oh that's one what, of what do you have that's our boy that's our boy and um he does return he flies back he literally does it and he flies back in essentially like iron man moment and um they enter these like secret caverns underneath ball they're filled with blood crystals so they're meant to like a, uh, they harmonize and they like enhance psychic power. So they feel like their strength return to them. Like Mephiston was like almost like stumbling as they were walking in. Then he starts like walk up straight and he looks a little bit too tall. And it's like, oh God, he's like really powered up. He's even more powered up than usual. And this is the part where they start to get a little bit heretical. They do this ritual where they have like, they all drink a, like a portion of each other's blood and they're all bonded together as like sons of Sanguinius. And they literally open a tear into the warp on Baal, like on Baal Primus. So they're back on the original planet. Not uh, Baal Secundus, where the uh, chapter masters and the um, monastery is. They essentially open a portal into the warp. They all, you, they, they push their power together. 
and essentially Mephiston draws his Fataris, ignites it with fire, and his sprouts his black wings and just says, Oi, Kabanda, fight me. And essentially he has to delay <laughs> Kabanda as long as possible. And he obviously he says it a lot better than that, because he says it in his like Lord of Death voice, which is like really raspy, like, you will not. And then Mephiston said to 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 Kabanda, Ah, oh, my dad could be up your dad. He said, What? And then they get into a big fight. Yeah. Yeah. Well to fair, if it's for people who are new, this is literally the Balrog versus Gandalf scene. And Epic. except um Mephiston is not using a staff, he's using a sword. And him and Commander <laughs> battle for a bit. But this is Commander inside the warp, so he's a little bit too powerful. And Mephiston does his best, but he was never going to be able to beat a demon in the warp, even as much as he was empowered by the other Blood Angels. In fact, some and let's the- not forget he's he's kind of got a storied history of the Blood Angels and like he this is the demon that basically gave them their uh their the red first curse kind of i believe he he bolsters that in the horus heresy so he's like he's like the, the arch enemy of the demons for the blood angels in a lot of ways he's also uh the commander's literally attacking now because he wants to kill the blood angels before the tyrannus does because he's like that's not <laughs> and kill um, steel do not have time pretty much and um Mephiston does a pretty decent job of like holding him off for a time but again, he he had probably no chance uh, in winning, and the rituals does start to fail. Like I think it's some of the uh, psychers. They start. He tries the commander tries to tempt them, and they'll hold firm for a decent part. Like even raceless, like the older librarian is like, hold it together, boys. Like he's again the Chad move. He's like holding it down. It actually does start to crumble. Unfortunately, funny enough, Antros, which actually Antros is quite young, so even though he's a powerful. Uh, Lexicanium. He is quite young. It's unfortunately he's actually the chink in this, and it starts to fail there. Eventually, they're pushed back into real space, and the kind of crystal caves collapse on them. They do all live, but they are literally out of the fight for the rest of the devastation of Baal. But their plan to delay Kabanda has worked slightly because Kabanda, instead of landing on uh, Baal Secundus and essentially wiping out where most of the Blood Angel forces are. He actually lands on Baal Primus, which is, again, like the sort of big planetoid, and it's not where most of the Blood Angels' forces are. And the, he essentially gets thrown into a horde of Tyranids. And some, I can't remember the name of the chapter, but it's like a renegade chapter of Blood Angels, so they're not even loyalists, technically. Oh, but they, um, but they, throw themselves, they throw themselves as like a was last the, sacrifice to um, essentially die. Was it the Knights of Baal? The, the Knights of Something. They're the Knights of Something. Knights of Blood, Knights of... Oh, knights no, of Blood of could knights be of Blood, possibly. They essentially wanted to die like a worthy death. And there's a, there's a cool scene in that where one of them is like... Because they've already been drinking blood and they've been like essentially disowned by the Blood Angels at this point. Um, and like the Imperium. Yeah, they they were definitely renegades. <laughs> they uh, were on the no-no list. Yeah, but, they, but one of them like... They kind of do redeem themselves a little bit because they're not evil. They just kind of fell to the curse too much. And he, he literally looks, he looks Kabanda in the face and Kabanda tries to tempt him and he literally shrugs it off. So even at this point, he's like, no, even now I still reject the corruption. And then, but he does get crunked. <laughs> I, like, I like to admit it's uh that scene from one of the aliens movies where they're all like huddled around the uh computer and it's got the machine gun ammo rounds like how what, what's left counting down is the oh yeah xenomorphs Zen- are so throwing themselves against the automated turret and then it hits the zero and you have dante like well that's a chapter gone 
Oh, they do. Now, now it's our problem. Entire chapters literally get wiped out uh, during the devastation of Bar. It's, it's horrendously, like, enormous as conflict. Um, but before, unfortunately for Mephiston, he's kind of, kind of, and the other librarians, like a lot of them, there are some out there still, but this contingent, they're out of it until they do dig themselves out of the rubble. They emerge after the devastation of Bala's ended and they find the Indomitus fleet and Robute Gilliman has arrived. Your grand administrator is here and the uh, situation changes. The Primaris have arrived. All the chapters have been renewed. Essentially, it's a new era. And this is sort of a, again, like it's a renewal for the Blood Angels and they survived the devastation of Baal by, by the, like the skin of their teeth. But they'd lost a lot of like so much was lost like historically and in terms of culture but you know they're still around essentially they lived um post devastation of ball mephiston uh, continues uh fighting but then he sort of comes across this psychic block in his mind like he struggles to use his his powers are still growing at this time but he feels like a massive psychic block on his um mental powers particularly and he starts to search for the source of this. He believes something out there is doing this to him. And he's begun to see ghosts, people who he has fought with over the centuries. They start to haunt him and he sees them and they're all creepy and something is clearly not wrong. So something's clearly wrong with him. They eventually battle across the galaxy until they find a planet named Morsus. And Morsus was now dominated by Necrons, the undead necron mummy two mummy boys are here uh i'm sure eli's probably enjoying this moment a lot because oh, please gene taylor calls in necrons ne- big oh. win today all of his christmases have come at once <laughs> we've got some funny on this one though um uh side note as well uh lucius anthros uh the pupil he goes off on his own journey to help find a way to save mephiston so he's not with the crew but raceless your bad boy and mephiston go down to morsus themselves to help uh, they think the source of his psychic blindness is here and they also want to investigate because his world was previously an imperial one that supposedly was meant to be recaptured in something called the Revenant Crusade but clearly they were destroyed by the Necrons uh, there's also small note there's an awesome scene in the beginning of this book where Raceless is like they're on their ship and he goes into Mephiston's quarters and he just sees a flayed man like kneeling down and essentially all of Mephiston's skin is like in the air floating and it's turned into like a star chart. And he's like, and Racers goes, yo, that's weird. But he also goes like, I get you're the chief librarian and all that, you know, you're powerful Mephiston. But even he's like, oh, I'm going to like throw up because that's like, that's disgusting. He literally flays his own skin off himself and then disgustingly reassembles it back on. Um, apparently it's all fine. <laughs> so I think he initially thought it was like his armor. But it, it is because re- he actually, obviously, his armor resembles like flayed, um, like muscle beneath. But it's actually just Mephisto, and he's just like a weirdly not blinking thing in the middle of the room, horrifying. And as they wait, make this way down to Morsus, uh, there's also another funny part about this planet. Uh, there is a Necron court held on Morsus. Uh, there's a slight problem with this Necron court. They're all insane. <laughs> well, Theron <laughs> is actually, he's woken up from the great sleep and he is not right. He basically has the Necrons, like the warriors, essentially doing mock battles, like randomly shooting things in the desert that are not there. He also like powers up this massive device that just keeps them really 
clean, whereas it should be like awakening other things and like destroying, you know, like enemies and like that. He just uses it to essentially be like a power cleaner, like a big Hoover. Yeah. At, least he's, at least he's hygienic. He's, <laughs> Not that he's got like a nervous system or like viral infections can affect. It's like, oh, it's fine. Keep our yeah. armor nice and shiny. Priorities in the wrong direction. It's essentially that um, thing we talked about in the Necron episode where like the Necrons don't like touching flesh. It's like, oh my God, they're like, they're like sick. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's even a funny part where like he's actually, t- he starts talking to the corpse of an actual Necron tier. Like a, somehow a preserved Necron tier corpse is there. And it's like, he supposedly it was his brother and he's like talking to it. And he's like, like, well, what do you think? Ah, oh, interesting, interesting. And everyone's like, oh God. There's even a part like a visiting cryptech has come to the planet, like do an investigation, like a little kind of safari, like, oh, I'm here to search for technologies. Like, oh, this guy is not right. <laughs> so there's all kind of shenanigans fair, going on. Warhammer 40k has a lot of scenes where a brother is talking to a deceased brother. <laughs> That's like a recurring theme. Good old Horace and Ferris Manus' skull. Mm, yeah. That was that was horrific that moment. It was like yuck. When like a full grim bracy chucks his like dead brother's head in the floor and then Horace is like says he has yeah. to like force down a throw up because like oh my god my brother he's like I get it we still hate him but like yuck um but essentially yeah the the planet's like crazy uh something's wrong with the Necron forces like even when the blood angels arrive there's a funny part where they're being attacked by the Necrons immediately and Mephiston goes wait a second let me think checks his like archive and then just basically goes in front of the forces and goes I declare a right to to parlay, essentially, like from um, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> you never know, remembers the Black Pearl movie. <laughs> um, it's like par par parlay, and essentially the Necrons go, "Crap, he did say the word, didn't he?" And then they have to like basically uphold like a ceasefire whilst they uh, intrigue like a court summonings, possibly that will happen. So it's like, oh god, that's hilarious. The Mephiston and Racers do make it down to Morsus and. In the kind of depths and mines, they find the remnants of the Imperial forces there. They're like the generations like later of the people who were from Morses. So all they've known is like the Necron uprising. And they also find a force of people called the uh, Blister Men. And they are essentially Ogrins that have mani- been irradiated. And they've kind of been blistered and they've kind of not been working with the humans for a while. But they do been they've been like fighting the Necrons like with mining tools. So literally they get like a chain hammer or a chain um jackhammer, sorry, and they're literally like jackhammering the Necrons <laughs> whenever they see them. And they do like sort of gather the Imperial forces together and they meet in this like weirdly immaculately carved uh temple ground, supposedly carved by the Ogrins over the last like how many decades and was like oh that's kind of weird like cause they what a drag. sentence that is i know it's like weirdly by the ogrins. <laughs> yeah it's like weirdly immaculately done it's like really impressive there's even a the bit that gets even weirder is like there's a statue of, that looks like mephiston in the middle of it and they're like you're the savior the savior and then it starts to get weird here because mephiston is like this is clearly not me, but it's like meant to be obviously a space marine or maybe even the emperor. Like they don't know what's going on. And then the ghosts of like the dead, which have been slowly over the story. Like he's been catching glimpses of them. And then people have been like, you're right. He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And they eventually swarm him here. And they're essentially like Mm. shouting him, telling him all his sins, like everything wrong he has done. And he essentially retreats his psychic mind into like a mind palace 
and he's essentially losing it. Like he's realizing at this point now it's like Mephiston. He's losing like a lot of the memories of like what he's done as Mephiston as well as Calistaris. He's kind of becoming like a monster in his own mind. Like he again, you know, there's a, a being that's just been fighting and fighting. And he realizes like his memory's been failing and he doesn't know why the ghosts are so angry at him. And this is where Chad Raceless, my man, comes in. He joins Mephiston in his like little uh mind palace area and he tells him, you know, what you needed to do essentially is remember who you like you don't need to remember everything for you. I can be your memory essentially, but the only thing you need to remember is that your purpose is that you are the Lord of Death and you fight for humanity. And he goes like, "Oh yeah, that's all I need to do." Like so, even if he does end up becoming a monster and like you know what everyone says he is, it doesn't matter because as long as he keeps doing what his duty is, it, that's enough. And it's, and he realized like Mephiston, the ghosts were not. Like an outside force it was actually his own psyche producing them as a way of like sort of to help remind him of like all the promises and things he has to um honor and he eventually is like i am mephiston lord of death as all like i just need to basically be the best lord of death there is and sort of embraces the ghost they kind of like hug him in a weird moment they all like accept him like well done you remembered your purpose because he because at this point he's been kind of He's been so lost in like following leads and quests and like fighting. He like he's forgetting like the overall purpose of what his power is meant to be. Because again, he's like been blessed with the power of like over the black rage, and so he's forgetting that he needs to really use that for humanity's betterment. And so he declares that the Revenant Crusade that previously failed to uh, capture and uh, save Mortis will be reignited, and all the Ogrins and the humans like join together. And they will basically, they're going to take on the Necrons, even though at this point, Mephiston had been like, it's basically before this, he'd been like, oh, it's a doomed mission. Why are they even bothering? And Raceless at this point, you know, tells him, they will come to the conclusion, like, they should just, why not? Because even if they win or lose, it's about fighting for the right thing. And they do take on the Necrons. The Imperial Guard actually do a really noble moment here. They kind of let themselves be like a sacrifice and like a distraction. So they know that they will die. And but again, like the, the other people who live on the planet will live if the Necrons get destroyed. And eventually Mephiston does like he basically knows they die because he eventually sees their ghosts. He's like, ah oh, shit, you know, they're they're dead. And unfortunately for the Necrons, I'm sorry here, Eli. Uh Mephiston does blow up the Necrons. Um Sedge. Sedge. Big F. He does um there is a point here where he does fight some of the Necrons as well. That's, Colin, what's that thing? You, I think you said you, you knew something about this earlier. It was about how they could find them. Indeed. I believe it was a, one of the one over the Necron Lord uh, who says that though Mephiston is undoubtedly powerful, he is, a, he is a child compared to the Eldar sorcerers of old. Yeah. So even Mephiston now was like nothing compared to what the War in Heaven was, which is a bit mind bit hard to imagine like in terms of, like that's like how do i imagine that just being a real thing but apparently yeah he's even as powerful as he is and he does end up winning and beating them they're still like damn like you weren't nearly as good as the previous eldari <laughs> well um, you see this the way to imagine is look at the sun and then just turn it off which is also pretty uh insulting and you have the elder i mean poor mephiston as well because actually he's a very as much like it's hard to explain like all his badassery, he's actually really intelligent in terms of 
like when he's not fighting, he's constantly reading like books and stuff like that. He's essentially in his like comfortable robes, like learning and learning and learning, because that's what a chief librarian has to be. Nerd. Um, and <laughs> well, he doesn't. I mean, he do that and then destroy your entire home world. So like, he he's not a nerd. Yeah, sure, he can do that. He is, he is <laughs> like I was like nerd. It's like we all like listen and read like law books for our channels. <laughs> the, mm. the irony nor the hypocrisy is not lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, uh, he sort of they eventually had to push like further into the Necron tomb, like underneath, and they find this device which is actually which the original Lord had been powering up like his Necrons to keep them clean in his like craziness and. There's also like a visiting cryptic who I briefly mentioned earlier. Unfortunately, I can't go too much into that, but essentially him and Mephiston have a both a moment where they both snuck into the chamber and they go, ah, you know the Spider-Man meme where they both point at each other? It's kind of like a, huh, <laughs> huh, you, you. And they have like a small <laughs> conversation where like Mephiston is like bluffing. He's like, I know more about this than you. And you're like, oh, really? He's like, and he starts to say things like quite like obviously things that show off his intelligence is like mathematical and you know things of physics things like that and eventually it does start to waffle a bit too long and then the cryptic goes uh, he's starting to he's starting to sound less intelligent now it's because Mephiston is trying to like work out what like how to operate the device and he goes oh like he eventually does work it out and this is the weird part where like the Necron device only works when you use psychic power on it which is strange because no Necron is a Psyker. So obviously it was probably not even a Necron device. Maybe originally it probably was an Eldari one. It's implied that. And maybe even belonged to the old ones. Maybe Salvage. Uh, but just... <laughs> it's like a like a lactose intolerant man developing like every type of cheese. It's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> this will give you no benefit. I yearn for what I can't have. <laughs> Although, uh, come on, I have not known a single lactose intolerant person to actually care about eating very, like cheese or true. ice cream. Very true. There's like um, a weird, funny scene where the Necron Lord does show up, like catching Mephiston in this cryptic, like you know, with their pants down. And then he's brought like his corpse brother with him, being like, "I can't." He's talking like, "Can't believe they were here! Like they invade our inner sanctum. It's crazy." <laughs> and then it's a bit, I haven't really mentioned too much, but like one of the consorts of the Necron Lord, who was like kind of sick of his crap at this point, and had been like, "Oh my god, I hope this guy dies." She's actually painted in red, so it's implied like if you watch our Necron episode that she was one of the. Um, people who like would drag them to like the bio furnace so she's actually one of those people so her arm was like painted in red she just basically at this point in the book she'd been kind of there'd been like a side plot of the necron thing she had enough of this law because she wasn't crazy she's like oh my god we can't which we just, she's had enough and just ends up slicing the corpse in half which makes the necron law go oh my god <laughs> how could you that's so <laughs> and the, the necron essentially like oh, yeah. under her control just end up fighting and then Mephiston powers a device that the Necron Lord had been using to keep his Necrons clean and sends like a shock, <laughs> a shock wave through them. They all just blow up essentially in one big go. Oh, apart from the cryptic, apart from the uh, nice. visited cryptic who just runs away being like, Jesus Christ, what a mess. <laughs> um, that was the events on Morsis. Uh, only two more books, three, no, three more books to go, boys. <laughs> Way to go. Um, <laughs> the one is a bit more shorter, luckily. Uh, shorter after, shortly after the events of Morsus, uh, Dante and Mephiston together would battle 
a demon prince of Slanesh, uh, Kyris the Perverse, kind of can guess what he's like, slash she's like, slash it's like. And also has a storied history at the same time as, uh, uh, what's his name, Kabanda. Those two are both oh, yeah. the, the Black Rage, uh, the Red First. So yeah, they have a history. I kind of wonder how the meeting for that went down in the warp. Like, we need you two to work together. It's like, how did... What did Korn and or Slanesh convince them to pull that off? Well, the entire Horus Heresy is mostly that, isn't it? I mean, that's that's not stopped Chaos from being at each other's throats before. <laughs> True. Well, they hate I mean, each other. Immediately when the opportunity is awry, they, they go, go for it, don't they? But, um, True enough. Yeah. Finally, There's uh, been enough ever-chosens. <laughs> we'll have a fancy for people who are uh, not initiated. Um, but at this point... This has been a little bit after the events of Morsus, not very long, to be fair. And as we mentioned earlier, you keep thinking, well, you know, you keep thinking, oh my god, this guy is saying Mephiston's power is growing, but I swear it hasn't had like a backfire in a while. It it happens here. It's finally gone to the point where Mephiston cannot contain his power any longer. And as they're fighting uh, Kyrus the Perverse, uh, the Black Rage just essentially fully envelops him in terms of is like flooding out of him like he's a conduit for it and like black flame and just roaring power flows around him it actually turns some of the primaris marines uh into the black rage essentially so this is like a oh crap the bloodline cure is not is the bloodline curse is not cured there's like a real like um harrowing moment and the demon what's the guy sorry so the well the black rage is like it's a it is their bloodline but that's like a psychic curse right like they the red curse you could theoretically get rid of if you were yeah. good enough at gene seed but the black rage is it's magic yeah, you, can, you can't curse, yeah it's like yeah. endemic in, in them but the black rage is it's all chaos's fault basically well yeah, yeah basically well, chaos's fault. one one of those is like a like an illness like that runs through your family the other the other is just straight up like you are cursed by a witch well, till, till this point, though, when uh, Dante received the Primaris reinforcements, they actually thought they, the yeah. Primaris might be free of the curse. And even, like, some of the Blood Angels, like, um, sorry, even, like, the other, Lamenters. Uh, even other saying, um, chapters, like, um, Gabriel Seth's uh, oh my, uh, Flesh Terrors, he was, like, saying, like, they're not true Blood Angels. They don't even have the curse. Like, what's wrong with them? So th- at this point, what's wrong with them? Well, he thinks like it's it's nice. a divine curse. Love yeah. Um, so they, the prim- no primaries had ever suffered the red thirst or the black rage until this point with Mephiston's power going out of control. So this is where Dante kind of goes like, oh god, like they're susceptible to it too, and this is they do defeat the demon prince. Luckily, they're on this like this um floating ship, you know, sort of a old blood angel ship. Uh, but Mephiston's like losing it and he's about to like essentially implode until Dante just runs up to him and like knocks him out essentially but <laughs> the power is still flooding around him and then Dante's like raceless what the hell's going on and he's like I'm sorry like it's just power has been growing for a long time and Mephiston's like in turns upon this like um this uh blood angels like specific um what's it called like a tomb slash blood tomb thing mm. when they go like a sarcophagus oh that's like blood sarcophagus that's what it's called when they yeah the one they use when they transform into blood angels and Mephiston's power is so great that they place like so many psychic wards on this blood sarcophagus to the point where 
it's actually impossible that anything could leak out of it, but his power is leaking out of it, which is like the blood is essentially like this is not possible. There's no there's hashtag leaky fistin. Leaky, <laughs> leaky leaky fist. Um, <laughs> so God. um so, but Mephiston essentially is dying. Like his body is not. Con- it's like f- like f- black flame is like rippling all over it, and his soul is actually in the warp. So he's kind of just in his own like place. He's like in a weird uh, like middle ground place. It's it's hard to explain. Um, but they do kind of believe that this is the end of it um, from Mephiston, unfortunately, until a contingent from Mars and Belisarius call rock up. And they agree to transform hey. Mephiston into a Primaris. And you're probably thinking, why do they choose Mephiston? Well, it's actually because they hadn't really done uh, the Rubicon Primaris transformation on any Blood Angel before. And they even said, like, at this point, uh, only person who had done it successfully really was Marnius Calgar, good old Ultramarines. But even then, some of the Ultramarines, like most of the Ultramarine lieutenants who went with Calgar didn't actually survive with him. And they think even with a Blood Angel, it's like they're a bit more divergent. So the like, <laughs> and Dante was just going, can I do it, please? please I'm like, please, no, you're too please. important. Please. <laughs> like no, no, let the other one do it first. <laughs> please. It's just Dante's begging to get died. <laughs> it's just so desperate. And they do agree to transform Mephiston because they think, why not? Maybe the Primaris frame can hold his power longer. And Mephiston's soul goes on like a weird vision quest. So he ends up seeing like his previous life. So he sees like Kai, he sees Calistarius, and then he sees Mephiston. So it's like all of his life, he even meets the soul of the um, the sort of uh, old man who had mentored him as when he was Kai. If you remember that from like very early on in this um, long ass video. Um, because they're in like a pocket of the warp, which like not touched by chaos. There are very few of them, like ever in the warp. So it's like a kind of peaceful area, but there's nothing really there. And eventually, this leads up to Mephiston finding this like blood-soaked figure who offers him this choice. And he looks above Baal in the warp, and they see an angel of gold and an angel of black, and they are battling. And this figure tells him, like, they're basically battling for the soul of the Blood Angels. And it offers Mephiston to become the avatar of the Black Angel, just as the Sanguinor is the avatar for the Golden Angels. This is kind of, we did mention earlier, like, a little bit like, oh, the Black Rage is a little bit more than just a curse. It's like a, as Colin has said, like, it's like a psychic wound within reality itself. And it the interesting part it mentioned this in this book as well was that this battle here like between the the different angels it will affect the area of Baal in the past present and future so it's implied that this like no matter what civilization will live on Baal they'll eventually like come to like the sort of idea like look like resembling angels and demons in some sort of fight it's like a really weird thing so even when humans die out essentially like or alien races long before humanity won the world essentially they would eventually sort of embody this power because it's literally spanned throughout all of time and uh Mephiston is told that if he does accept this offer basically it will damn him but it will he'll eventually become the black angel but it will save his brothers for a time and buy a bit more respite from the black rage and funny enough though he actually refuses he initially says no like he just he, he says he's actually he's done enough like he's really kind of like Dante where like I've literally been fighting 
for centuries. I've died twice, essentially. You know what I mean? I died a few times. I survived the Black Rose. Like, I'm just, like, I don't, I don't know if I can handle it anymore. And it's actually revealed that when he does refuse, this figure reveals itself to be sanguineous. And then this is like a moment where he thinks he's failed like some kind of test. But the sanguineous figure, they're not even sure if it is sanguineous truly, but in a way it sort of forgives him and just kind of reiterates the um, offer again. And Mephiston makes his choice. Back on Baal, uh, the transformation is going on. Um, but Mephiston's body has been dead for quite a while, which is it's a little bit funny because like Raceless are basically been playing telephone with Mephiston's soul in the wall, being like, you there, mate? Yeah, 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 cool, cool, you there. Um, so he's like talking to me once in a while, but he's like not heard from him in a while. <laughs> Just dialing the wall. The number you have dialed is not recognised. Please try again later. And he's like, oh, for fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Getting frustrated. It's been quite, it's been quite funny. Dante's like been watching. He's been like, is he there? He's like, yeah, yeah, he's still around. He's still around. My, my, it's like, my mate is coming, I swear. Like, you know, like you're going out as a group and then like Just someone's five friend minutes. and a friend Just is five like, more minutes. <laughs> yeah, five more minutes. Five more minutes. Um, <laughs> but this is a very cool scene here though, where the like racist venture goes, He's 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 coming back. He's coming back, and essentially, Mephiston is rocketing from the warp, like back into his own body. But it's not just him. He bring, he literally brings three souls back into his body, and his body is just lifts up into the air, and it's an incredibly like violent, turbulent um, experience. It's like literally, the air around them ripples. Like some of the blood angels around them actually die from the power like around them like a, and they see behind him a black angel spread its wings some of this one of the sanguinary god i think does actually get killed by it which is quite like oh god but eventually the power like they will think like we should kill him now kill him now and then it does start to stabilize and then he sort of his mephiston's boy like knits back together and it heals like in an instant and he basically lands on his feet again and again they like, say like I think Astagrath the Grim, the high chaplain, just basically goes, he's he's a demon, like we should kill him straight away. And like Dante's like, wait a second, let, let him cook. Like, you know, let him cook. He's been, we're giving for a lot. Because obviously Mephiston's like basically been the poster child for Primaris Blood Angels. So they're trying to see if it works. And he sort of talk, he has like a talk with uh, Mephiston. They actually both in secret, like it's sort of a private conversation. They both mention seeing Sanguinius in the warp. It's an interesting part where they kind of go, like Dante asks him, like, was it really Sanguinius? And then Mephiston's like, yes and no, because Sanguinius is dead. Like Sanguinius is dead, but it may be, could have been a, a sort of a manifestation of his soul. An echo. An echo yes. of what he was. It could have been something pretending to be him. Not so, the first time a mysterious thing pretended to be sanguineous and made a deal with the blood angels yeah so it has they're not they both do even funny enough dante did promise to keep that but like his own vision that he saw when he almost died on uh the devastation of bar like to himself they kind of both tell each other about their own experiences like seeing this sanguineous because it does feel like the real thing and it's a really like touching moment because they're both like like that's our gene father but it's also we can't allow ourselves to believe it is truly because obviously he's sanguineous is very much dead you know so he's not real yeah but don't give us hope that kind of thing don't give yeah. us hope but I'm if just it is disappointed. A, but it is cool but it's like they both in a way 
take like hope from it and they both like find it as like because they've both been like i said like they're both very clearly ready to die which is like a i think like we mentioned like the sort of tragedy of the blood angels that they're both very much as much as you think like oh mephist and he's like this he often appears to be like a cold and uncaring thing he's actually just he is like a normal person he mephist is like he emerged into the universe from hades hive not really having much to himself other than the memories of someone else but he does obviously he basically does turn into his own person like Calis- he lived longer as Mephiston than he ever was Calistarius and sent, a, okay, sent an image official Warhammer image related in the chat it's Mephiston nice. and the Blood Angels <laughs> having Thanksgiving dinner that's a good one Vitaris is a cool sword as well it's got a little like hooks bit to the end um, but yeah he's sort of Mephiston's been ready to die for a while funny enough which you wouldn't you wouldn't have expected but obviously he's running been, theme with the blood been, angels because he doesn't he doesn't suffer the black careers like them he's not like he even says like in his own words i the usual hunger and thirst doesn't haunt me but he still obviously just had a lifetime of war so he's ready to go but um he's they do find like a sort of renewal and particularly more mephiston he's very much like i'm ready to get out there and they do like have a mini test where Tanda's like, go do that mission. He goes like, sure. And then just annihilate some gene stealers. Sorry, Eli. Um, <laughs> and then it's really they, have, they have no happy ending by design. He can't wow over that. Uh, whole union with the star children. <laughs> okay. Uh, funny enough, there's a funny bit where like he's talking to them and he says, he basically says like, I know you're about to say, you're about to give me this speech and say these things. And they go like, what? How could you possibly know the divine? Like because I've battled you before, <laughs> you all say the same thing on different worlds. But never mind, yeah. you wouldn't be able to understand or even reject what you think, and it just takes them out. Um, yeah. But essentially, Mephiston is now Primaris, and he's reborn. Now we're on to the very last book. Well done, people, for hanging in there. There's a quite a lot, but we're almost <laughs> there. I think um, when you when you were saying earlier when I was telling the guy like. I know it's rough, but we're almost there. He should he should have been telling him like, I know it's rough, but we still have three more books. <laughs> this, is, this is the last book, though. <laughs> so this is uh, Mephiston is Primarist up, and the trio of Raceless, your main Chad, who's but Raceless also guarded Mephiston was he was like in his body was like in danger and things like that. Again, he's he looked after him the entire time, like and his greatest defender. They even defended him against Dante when he was like, well, what the hell's going on? It's like, don't you dare, you know, go near him, things like that. And the trio have now set off to find the source of these clues that have been appearing over the centuries. It all started on Divinus Prime from the back a little while ago with the um the sort of the the world of bones and things like that. And then the psychic trace on the uh, relic there's over the centuries mephiston has been collecting clues there's someone has been beh- someone has been manipulating him in the events it took him to morsus as well like he wasn't he was actually directed to morsus by like some artifacts that lured him there so someone's clearly been playing him for a long time doesn't know why and uh and also a side note as well as the time of uh, Lucius Anthros since Morsus when he was off on his own um, I should briefly explain what happened to him because it doesn't make sense if he, if I don't um, he actually met with another chapter called the Sons of Helios who uh, they said they had found a way to sort of exist near the Eye of Terror and not be corrupted and I think they called it the Sleepless Mile I don't remember the exact chant but I think it's like we dream dreaming dreamed and they would like huddle around or like find a way to like in 
sort of meditate and they would chant this. And they called it like the sleepless mile where they put themselves into a trance. And they sort of followed along this path up the like imperial palace in their own mind. And it sort of calmed them. And actually Lucius Antros actually fell to the black rage when he was fighting alongside them. But they all chanted together like we dream, dreaming, dreamed. Like in like a way to bring him. And it brought him back from the black rage. But, and even when he returned, he was actually more powerful than he'd ever been before. But he didn't want to tell Mephiston something was, it, it, something was clearly wrong with the way he had grown this power. And even <laughs> since- I haven't he, earned it. Oh. No, but, but something- <laughs> Something had been off with and- Lucius Anthros for a while. And obviously he's, even though Mephiston is his mentor, like he doesn't, it's something, it's like that thing, like you don't, you don't want to tell your parents something. He doesn't want to tell Mephiston necessarily burden with him. And he's trying to hide it from Mephiston. Um, he does feel really guilty about this, but obviously in a way he's actually able to mentally trick Mephiston. Like, like Mephiston tries to invade his mind and he actually holds him off, which is, usually not possible for a psycho of any other level other than Mephiston. So Mephiston kind of goes, hmm. And it was even weirder was like when Mephiston, because his power is so great, like he also kind of, he also has a little bit of uh, prophetic vision, things like that. And he kind of sees events. He's like always calm and in control, Mephiston. He does something, he obviously literally unnerves people. But Anthros at times has said stuff that has caught him off guard. And he's like, that's not, I didn't expect you to say that. And there's so something has been obviously ticking Mephiston off to something being wrong. They even go and visit the um, crazy, like, corrupted Xenos, the one in the Octaviliare one. Again, and they get a little bit of torture, like, you know, a couple of fisticuffs. Um, and they, they kind of do uh, interrogate it a little bit. Um, but they set off to find and put together these clues to try and find who's been at the heart of this grand conspiracy for centuries. And, but before they do set off, Mephiston allays the worries of Anthros and he gifts him an ancient blood angel scepter as a sort of gift and tells him, you'll use this when the time is re- like necessary. This is really important to remember, but essentially Mephiston's planting something. You know, he's saying, even though something's off with you, Anthros, I still uh, trust you and then here's a gift. And as they set off, there's this really cool scene where they are exploring these uh, craft world, uh, Eldari craft world ruins. Um, there's a weird bit as well here where I, I, some of the Primaris Marines accompanying them, they feel a little bit weird doing some Blood Angels magic in front of them because they're like, these Primaris Marines are not like initiated into Blood Angel ways. And so like they use, when they use like certain blood ritual magic that's specific to the Blood Angels, they're like, these rube, these um primaris marines they're a little bit they're like oh shit what the fuck is that because obviously they're like <laughs> you know what i mean they're not they didn't they didn't and they've been on terror all this time so they don't know any of the culture from Baal and what they yeah, do so, so they're, they're like, a little oh, bit oh this isn't what i was expecting Ugh. they're a little bit like oh that's a weird <laughs> so, but eventually they get like something starts to mess with them uh they start fighting like visions on this craft world and they do realize they're being messed with some Harle- some harlequins have turned up and they started messing with them. Uh, there's like this one specific Harlequin that's like been taunting them as they explore these ruins. But Mephiston eventually just goes, I've had enough of this. And just like leaps at him like with his psychic black wings and just managed to like crunk him in place. <laughs> and um, But he doesn't kill him. And he says, we've come to make a deal essentially. 
this is the part where earlier, some when they've been attacked by some Eldaria, the pilots who they were flying down with, their heads get crunked whilst they're flying the ship. And this is where Mephiston shows off his Conal Dior, like, you know, like, <laughs> Joe Wilder time power. And he, um, he literally, as Colin said earlier, he literally pauses time and sort of sits there for a moment and thinks about, like, he's, like, observing the brain matter of the pilots. One in second the has passed. Ooh, he, seconds have passed. Yeah, he's kind of, like, watching it. He's going, <laughs> he's sort of exploring his new power. And he, he actually thinks, I could probably reverse this and, like, save them. But then he also goes... I probably that's not something I should do though because that's just a, that's a misuse of my power. Which is funny enough after pausing time, um, so then he lets that happen. Uh, as he's as I said earlier, he's basically grabbed this like Harlequin and been like, "You, you'll come with me, come here, boy." And he eventually says to them, "Listen, I want to make a deal. I won't tell any of the Imperial forces about the ruins of this craft war, which clearly you're protecting. If you can get me across the." Um, the great rift and the harlequin's like ah oh, like they they hate him they even like there's a part where he also invades the minds of the eldari ships and i think as colin knows some eldari ships are powered by um spirit Inf- stones and, and, and the infinity the, circuit uh, as well. the infinity circuit runs through the heart of every eldar craft world except for Bealtan because it kind of got shattered and don't uh, worry about that one don't worry about that one and they kind of like the like the ancient Eldari um, minds when they sense Mephisto's in there, like, hey, get out of it, hey, hey, like that's like, get off my lawn. Oi, oi, bad touch, bad touch. It's a, it's a funny. <laughs> it's a Go funny away. Part. It's quiet in here. Yeah, they're like, oh, human, disgusting, and um, let their dog off the leash. It's pissing into my infinity circuit. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, they do sort of make a deal with Mephisto, and they go, fine. We'll take you across, like through the webway, if you promise to keep your word. So like, a Harlequin's basically on their ship, like guiding them through the webway for a bit, and he's like so miffed. He's like, I "Fucking hate all of you." You know what I mean? Like he's like, "I hate all of you," but we, you know, we made a deal. He does anything. He just ended with glitter bombs filled with tannerite in his mailbox back on ball. Another classic. The Mark Robo experienced Warhammer style, um, and they sort of managed to get across the Great Rift, which obviously is mostly impossible at this time. And this takes them to the jungle world of Sabassus. Now, Sabassus is an isolated planet. It's not the same as what happened to Divinus Prime, but essentially it's sort of quite close to the Great Tear, the Great Rift. So it's been cut off for a long time, sort of for quite a while now. And... They eventually arrive, Mephiston, Raceless, Anthros, and they relieve the Imperial forces on the world who are being attacked by a, funny enough, a Zinchian cult uprising. Uh, Mephiston saves this captain named Federak, and there's a really interesting scene between the two where they are like having a conversation where Federak has actually previously seen a demon prince. And when a human looks at something like that, they're basically like walking dead at that point. There's no coming back from that. They'll eventually go mad. And Mephiston says, the only reason you're not like a bubbling, mewling mess, essentially, is because there's a painting inside one, like the halls of this area. And it's a painting of the emperor. And it's supposedly actually painted during the time of the Great Crusade. And Mephiston says, like, the artist, like, he looks upon it. So the artist at the time was there when the emperor, like, started the Great Crusade. And it captures, like, the true kind of presence of the emperor within the painting and essentially that and that imagery of the emperor has like saved federak's mind for a little bit but 
Mephiston does say like unfortunately you are like walking dead and you will die at some point but I need your help and it's, it's, it's a weird moment where like you kind of go like oh yeah he's like Mephiston the scholar like half the time rather than just being because Warhammer is mostly like uh like like you know grim dark badass and then horrible tragedy so there's like that moment where it shows a little bit of a different side to him and he's very like when he does speak he is very intelligent so he's he's extremely well read and obviously pretty much has like a ridiculously powerful mind which can basically basically like the sherlock holmes of um the blood angels as well at this point why not add it to the list of overpowered things um and they need Federak because Federak can lead them to a temple in the mountains, which is where he originally saw the demon. They do, funny enough, Mephison leaves Lucius Anthros behind, which much as Anthros is like sort of complaint, but he's like, no, you there's a there's a reason for this. And the Blood Angels, as they finally enter this like temple ground, it's in this really weird, like reflective underground section where like it's hard to explain but they do enter this temple area and they are eventually ambushed by rubric marines and a greater demon of zinch which looks like a floating bird mask with a cloak funny enough he looks quite small so i find it bizarre like this is like a greater demon but it's like okay fine fine enough but um it's zinch he's he's uh yep. he's not the one all about power yeah but the so the good old rubric marines burst out and they attack them in this temple at the center of this uh, temple grounds there's this ritual stone and it starts to burn and then they realize like something like a ritual is being set off and like arcing fire is like spewing out from it Mephiston just lunges forward and literally just smothers it with his body using it as like sort of a <laughs> way to absorb the heat from it so like his body and armor can take it and then this is really bizarre this part then Mephiston splits himself into three he sends his mind into Raceless to coordinate the battle between the Blood Angels and the Rubit Marines. He uses his body to like hold on to the stone, like absorb the heat. And then he sends his soul into the warp to chase the demon down. So essentially he literally just splits himself apart and getting all Doctor Strange all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty it's a I mean it's a very impressive, but like very bizarre moment. But then it gets even weirder because Mephiston's soul, as I should have mentioned earlier, by the way, is often described as like three souls, where it's like implied there's one that's Calistarius, one that's Mephiston, and there's one that's like the avatar of the black um, angel. So he's like coalescing to this weird being. And when Mephiston appears in the warp, he wakes up with like no memory of what's like who he is or what's happening. But he appears like a burnt, flayed man. And essentially, he's like like raw, flayed muscle, and he's like all crackled and black. And he basically looks like the manifestation of the black rage, but he's not like pissed off or angry. But he does have, funny enough, Vitaris, his sword is with him, though. The sword doesn't leave um, for some reason. Like, even this is weird, like, walk creature, like, there's like a dog. He's like, yo, can I have that sword? And he's like, nah, it's mine. Like, I'm <laughs> sure, like, I'm pretty sure that's mine. And like, some other creatures like try to take it from him, and he's just like, sprouts wings he's like ah get away from me <laughs> he does uh bilbo from Pretty, oh rings. yeah like, grab, grab the ring <laughs> let me give you this mithril and then like give you give your childhood nightmares <laughs> yeah yeah and then apologizes after like oh my bad that was quite unrude or quite rude of me like really did that scare anyone else by the way when they were younger when they first saw that 
I saw Lord <laughs> oh, of the Rings yeah. for the first time two years ago. So Sheesh. I was I in the it. cinema when it first came out. When was that? Oh, geez. I'm so old. I still haven't <laughs> seen the other two movies. They're good, bro. bro. I've read the books. They're still good wouldn't. films, though. Right? I, I know they're ten. good movies, and I know I'd like them. I just haven't seen them. Can you please put in the chat, yeah, like, Colin needs They're one of those, like, films, those. One of those film series where it's just like they are pretty much. I know. I know the Fellowship of the Ring is like a perfect example of like the structure of a film. Like you mm. look at the screenplay, it is pitch perfect. It's like first ten pages, it does the whole flashback with the war and blah blah. But yeah, great films without going too into it. Fellas in the chat, I I've got a better idea. Take get a compilation of every time I've said I haven't seen X movie or Y TV show, <laughs> and then take a shot every time I do so. And then please inform us how quickly you're in the hospital. <laughs> Jeez. We do not support that in law crimes, but it would be funny. Um, <laughs> just do that for legal purposes there. Um, so the Mephiston essentially has woken up without much memory of himself, but he's like the weird avatar of what his power is. And he's the warp, by the way, I don't, I wish I'd written it down the way they describe it, because it literally sounds like some, crazy artist like you're living inside of like a moving painting it's like rippling with color and i've never seen it in other things but they often describe the warp as like oh like a mix of weird rippling energy but this is like a full-on like multicolored rainbow picture of like colliding color and shapes and ideas and concepts it's so weird it's actually quite like a good um part of the book the book itself is a little bit confusing in times but this is particularly like really um like visually it's such like a feast and it's so good in terms of its description and he's also like travel through the warp he's also follow other weird twisted monsters and creatures and other sorcerers because everyone seems to be venturing towards this one place so like the kind of pace of the book is like really slowed down here it's like going what the hell is going on and they realize like everything's heading towards something called the city of light and this is Prospero. So this is long dead Thousand Sons, Magnus the Red home that's in the war. And it is guarded by like Zangors and things like that. And the reason that everyone is traveling towards the City of Light, supposedly like people have been corrupted or like demons or just creatures of the warp is because they're essentially recruiting in the City of Light because there's a plan for it to eventually emerge back into the real space and basically ruins everyone's day because why not magnus he did nothing wrong um ever <laughs> so uh mephiston sort of joins this weird shambling horde it's like he just but he looked like one of the other monsters there so he kind of like blends in even like talks to a few of them like can i skip the line they're like i don't know bro like it's a pretty long line to get in <laughs> like at the movie theater have you got a wristband no i haven't got a wristband oh no, but eventually mephism goes ah screw it and he just, he just breaks his way in like attacks the guards just rushes up these like crystal stairs and he does like sort of chase this he finds a demon again and sort of chase it around prospero like they see like the ghosts of obviously the people who lived in prospero like and obviously space walls and um like a thousand sons who have died there, like there's sort of echoes of what the you know the wounds of the old burning of Prospero, and eventually chases this demon and finds him in this like tower area. Even follows like some other people there. It's kind of bizarre, and then unfortunately this like demon Mephiston or his soul gets trapped, 
and he realizes that it's been an ambush. And the demon reveals himself to be uh, Zadkael. He was essentially a servant of... I, I don't know if he was previously a Thousand Sun or not. I can't remember, but he's like a servant of Magnus um. the Red. And uh, he sort of tells Winston, Haha, I've been behind so much of your like your journey like since divinus like divinus prime i was the one who like architect that morsus that was me you know i've been manipulating you for centuries because i've needed you for something uh in, i've been basically nurturing you for my own purposes and also a side note as well at this time mephiston is caught anthros who's gone off on his own like he's he's like he's thinks himself oh Mephiston must have sent me off to do something. I'm here to work out something. So he goes to one of the towers of the world. I'll explain that in a little bit. But unfortunately, essentially on Anthros on his own journey, he's also realized like, oh, his power that we mentioned earlier that was a bit suspicious. It was because the sleepless mile, the power that he'd been using, like, you know, we dream, dream, dreaming. Something that he'd been doing in secret since um, Morsus and the Sons of Helios chapter taught him that. It was actually a ritual designed by Zinch. So he's actually been corrupting himself. And he starts to like sprout feathers and he's like turning into a greater demon of Zinch. Like, oh, and he realizes oh, no. it's happening in mean, like in real time. And he's like feeling his body corrupt. Meanwhile, Zedkiel has, uh, again, he says that like he's nurtured Mephiston. He's been using him. Because he needs Mephiston as a conduit to, for a enormously powerful ritual to bring Prospero back into real space. The, Mephiston is the basically the reason he he's been making Mephiston for this he's the catalyst. Yeah, he's the catalyst. He's like, yeah, not making Mephiston, but he's Mephiston will be the perfect catalyst, as Colin said, just to bring him back. And they reveal that on the planet where. One of the temples they've been fighting in, like the Blood Angels and Raceless, um, is called uh, one of the Fingers, sort of Finger Mountain. There are actually nine fingers, or sorry, multiple finger ring. towers. No, they're called the the Fingers, such as the nickname of these mountains. And they're not actually mountains. They're, ta- they're silver towers of Zinch that have been grown over. And they realize like it's almost like a hand. And essentially, Mephiston is going to be used as a conduit to... Um, replace where prospero is like sort of as a um a switcheroo essentially so they're going to replace where the fingers are and then switch prospero in its place land it on top of sabasas and then prospero is back in real space and he needs to channel all that power through mephiston eventually like you know burn him up whatever and zadkiel the little demon is like laughing and he like enacts the plan like he takes a cut of mephiston's blood and then he like you know the ritual begins and he starts, you know, it's and it's all going off, and he is so happy. But something goes wrong. Like he's basically, it's it, like Mephiston's like basically explodes in front of him into light, and he starts like waddling his way over to Magnus the Red to tell him of his amazing power. He's done. He's looking around him, going, "This doesn't, doesn't look like Sebastian's outside. Like something's a bit, <laughs> something hasn't gone quite right." And this was because. As the ritual was taking place, uh, something something went wrong, and just a brief foray back in time, Mephiston becoming a Primaris was obviously very powerful, can stop stop time, but it was actually more powerful than we even realised, and he was strong enough to see that 
Lucius Anthros had been corrupted, so he was powerful enough to detect the Zinchian like corruption flowing within him, even if Anthros wasn't willingly turning against him. And he, when he gave him that scepter earlier, the scepter was actually something to use at this very moment because he had foreseen that the uh, like he was being manipulated for a long time. Um, he couldn't. It's, this is the part I didn't quite like the ending of this book as well because like it's one of those like haha I knew it all the entire time. It's very JoJo. It's a little bit. Like, <laughs> I knew in fact a little that bit, you were I going to do in, this. You know, oh. I knew all along, but. You may have outsmarted me, but I have outsmarted your outsmarting. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit my hormone. It's a little bit like that, which I don't I don't think is the best ending, but it is still a representation of how far he's come. And he he saw Anthros would be used in some way. So he gave him the scepter. And he realized like Anthros was part of the ritual too. And so with Anthros's like last remaining moments of sanity, he uses the um, scepter itself to polarize the ritual. So instead of sending um, Prospero basically where Sabasis was, it sends the mountain slash towers of Zinch back into the warp. And so when... Oh, Zad- so go ahead, So now it's time for... Oh God, what is the Zelda game? Is it Ocarina where the moon's crashing down? Oh, Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's time for that, but with nine of the damn things. Yeah, so <laughs> essentially Zadkir like pops over to the Court of Magnus, which is just a really brief, brief like foray into that. It's like filled with like sorcerers on discs and like demons like, hanging about and like Thousand Sun sorcerers like sort of conversing was. By the way, Magnus the Red in this book is like a little bit in it. And He's like just randomly, like at times, like in his like demon throne, would stand up and just randomly espouse things. So he's like, he's fully mad. So just to show <laughs> you like what a demon Magnus is like. And Zadkiel goes, like, I did it. The whole thing is like going right. And he's like, Magnus, like, are you sure about that? He's like, are you sure about that? You know, pulling back the <laughs> thing like um, John Cena. And because then Zadkiel goes, oh, and he sees like the towers of Zine. She's like, oh my God, I've been, tr- how did I get tricked? I've been planning this for literal, literal centuries. And so, like, back, basically, Demon Magnus, like, you're going to prison slash worse prison than you can imagine. And super hell. Basically super hell. <laughs> and it's revealed that Mephiston actually did trick the demon. Like, he'd kind of been... He'd not been passive for the last few centuries in working out what was going on. And, you know, him noticing what was wrong with Raceless, they did find a way to polarize that ritual and then but it did obviously unfortunately it did save Lucius Anthros but it cost him his life so it spared him from becoming a demon but so it used instead of using Mephiston in the ritual it basically ended up using Lucius um and when they revive so they arrive back on Baal uh Raceless and Mephiston are kind of like in his per- uh, um Anthros's personal quarters kind of going through like his collections because they've been they've been fighting with him for a long time at this point and raceless is kind of he, he always been like the grumpy like older librarian like always been a bit disapproving for anthros for a long time because he always kind of was a bit overprotective of mephiston and only like very recently like even in this book he kind of um like i need to in the end of like the last book as well he kind of accepted anthros like you know you're finally worthy and just when he was finally worthy he died so he's a bit up he was obviously a bit gutted and raceless even asked mephiston like if there was any way to like save him and mephiston just goes but i did 
And actually, it's the first time that Raceless properly gets angry at him. Because he kind of, there's a bit where he, Raceless is now realizing, like, Mephiston's actually so powerful that he's kind of, but you know how, like, a, like he's almost, like, not seeing them like ants, but there's a bit more of a chasm between him caring about mm. normal people. Yeah, he's seeing them like the Emperor himself. sees people. Yeah, he's a little bit, he's not being ruthless. Like, he did save Sebastus, he did say the thing, he stopped Lucius turning into a demon, but then it's kind of, he's a little bit, he sounds almost heartless in, at some point. Yeah, he's not gone full iron hands where it's like, you are a number in the calculus, it doesn't matter. He's like, ah, I've still got some humanity, but... Paul Rabo. Yeah. He's, um, so he's not cruel, but again, it's, like, it's a little bit, oh, you know, he, like how the Emperor is not intentionally malicious, but there's no things he, he classes under necessity. And it kind of ends with Mephiston uh, drawing... Like he's been sketching like random things like throughout his like life and even in his book, obviously Blood Angels like artists and they're very creative. And he does sort of finally sketch like a replica of the Emperor's painting that he saw on Sebastus. And it kind of reminds like, he looks at it in a way where he takes a sort of a bit of hope from it to the way like um the captain did. I can't remember what his name was. It was a Sabadoc or something like that. He, he um the way that he took hope from it and he kind of realized like yeah like he is doing a lot of like crazy stuff but he's like mephison lord of death servant of the emperor son of sanguinius like he is basically duty bound and he will as the avatar of like the black angel essentially just do his best to keep going forward and essentially fighting for the imperium until one day he does become the black angel so it's kind of it's a bit of a funny moment like he kind of weirdly accepts like yeah, I'm going to, like, have a horrible end, but I'm just going to keep doing, like, I'm just going to keep getting victories for the Imperium as much as I can and, like, <laughs> defending worlds and things like that. And he kind of, it, it ends in a moment where, like, he just walks away and then he's, like, ready to just fight his next journey. And that's kind of the end of Mephiston's tale. Sorry, boys, that was a really mm-hmm. long one. Uh, but there was just so much to cover. Um, is there any particular points you guys thought was like interesting or was particularly weird because there's quite a few of them there was like um the divinous prime book the one where they fight on like the bone world which i thought was very cool and th- that was one of my favorite that is cool it's a pretty good he part. certainly is like deal indeed he is sounds really like there were a lot of really cool set pieces in uh, mephiston's mm-hmm. journeys oh yeah i, I did a walk okay sorry oh so, no you first i was gonna say i did unfortunately Funny enough, as much as I've said, I have skipped quite a few things because the fight with Kabanda in the warp, as like there are other demons around, is pretty amazing. Um, there's, I did skip unfortunately quite a bit of the Morsus book with the Necrons. There's like some really crazy scene where like the Necrons send scarabs at Mephiston, and essentially like goes like some of the Primaris Marines get literally torn apart in front of him. And he just ignites Vitaras and just starts slashing as fast as he can to the point where literally the scarabs like swarming around him in a bubble. And he's literally just like yelling, going, ah, like kind of Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Literally, he's like trying to go to like Super Saiyan 2 to 3, if you know what I mean. Like there's a really. He's at 1. He's got to get to 2 now. Well, no, literally 2 to 3. Like he's literally yelling like that. And. uh, Oh, oh, I see what you mean now. And like Vitaras is again just being the sturdiest boy ever. And um, he even fights like another cryptic there as well. One of them like poisons raceless and he like has to use like blood uh, magic things, like draw out the poison from him. It's quite cool. Um, There is a cool part in the last book called, it is called City of Light, which obviously is 
reference to Prospero, which is the part where the warp is obviously uh, quite good imagery. I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't do the craft world quite enough justice because they do walk through the ruins of this long dead craft world. It's not implied to any of the famous ones of now. It's like a a uh, War in Heaven era, maybe possibly or later. That one's like a really eerie scene, and they see like they start to fight like. They're clearly being tricked by, like, something's wrong with just the general area of it, because obviously, like, ancient Eldari souls have died here and things like that. But um, he does he does do quite a lot, and there's a lot of uh, complexity to his character in terms of people think a lot more of him, but the real him is just somewhat of a um, more contemplative soul who wields, obviously, a great power. And he's a very... He's, he is cool. He's obviously... He's ridiculously overpowered. Let's not... I'm pretty sure we all agree on that, don't we? Like, he's ridiculously mm-hmm. overpowered. But it's always in a way where, like, it's not like, oh, and then he completely, um, just, just completely crunked the enemy and then it was fine. It was always in a way, he's always, like, had to outsmart his enemy, which I always liked in the uh, Mephiston books, which is quite good. Um, yeah, sorry, does anyone have any, like, questions or, like, cool things that perhaps he's done or any thoughts? Um, I, I would like to, again give a brief mention to his appearance in angel's death just because it's it's like a nice cameo from him where kazarian's just about to be shipped off to the death watch and he's praying in front of the, the angel of sanguinius and then he's like oh please give me the strength and then mephiston just appears and he's like what are you doing here and he's like um uh, i'm 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 just and he's like you're a liar he's like oh I'm, I'm not sure if i have the strength to 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 last the curse and he's like i don't know what to do and mephiston just goes there's nothing you can do. And then he gives him the blood. And when the camera's panning around Kazarion, he just keeps like disappearing and reappearing in different spots in the room without seemingly moving. And you're like, oh, that's creepy. And he's got like this, you know, this, this veil of shadows over his face. And he's got these glaring red eyes. And, uh, you know, I just, I just think like, I think especially cause, um, seeing him in a visual form like that, rather than just the artworks, which are static a lot of the time, it was just, seeing how imposing and vampiric and, and otherworldly he was in the in that scene, which I thought was really cool. What are you, Colin? I uh I would like to say you've done an a fantastic job, uh Andy with the beginning and you uh with the expert. Uh to the point that I was almost ready to give Mephiston uh the highest honor I can give a space marine character, which is I like you. Six out of ten. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the ending kind of tripped oh. the ball a bit. Not you, uh, but the ending of yeah. the last book. It's not, on, that, yeah. not, not for the outsmarting reason, because it, no, because it was GW going, hey, you know this cool big jury this guy's been on? Oh, Chaos did it. It's all chaos. Thanks for coming, everyone. It's a little but, bit uh, of a... That, it's not his last. I mean, it won't be his last book. It's just the last of the uh, initial trilogy by Darius Hinks, I think the author. Yeah, I just, I just don't like do when think, the, they always fall back on. Oh, yeah, chaos is behind everything. Do you reckon he's really got much place to go? It seems like he's had That's quite a good arc. Too. I think there is more to explore in terms of, um, like, he not necessarily on the rage side of it, but more as in. I think his interaction with the rest of the chapter, because kind of like his solo journey is done. But what I said, like also his black rage stuff is mostly like entirely separate. It's just after he became Mephiston, the demon Zadkiel started to mess with him. Cause it was like, ah, Mephiston, that guy seems powerful. I bet I could use that to my advantage. 
so the the black rage stuff is all um him like he him conquering it and all that stuff is not the uh, manipulation i don't know if i maybe implied mm-hmm. that do you think if mephiston like was from this point onward largely only relegated to major like codex events do you think you would be satisfied or do you think he needs more just out of curiosity i don't think he needs more character development in terms of um it's kind of like his character development has, has got to a good point i think it's just they need to do something with like that needs to then be mm-hmm. done with the chapter in terms gotcha. of like this is all I, separate from the chapter it's mostly just him and like a few blood angels i guess that it's the mephiston <laughs> show <laughs> i guess to reword the question a bit do you think he needs more books for that or do you think if he were to be like i, I say relegated like it's a like it's a dishonor to be front center in a codex but if he were to be like put aside to be like mostly just in codexes and maybe a couple appearances it's like a kind of like an angel to the death cameo like in books do you think that would be all right or do you think he needs more books oh like, it doesn't need him front books. and center there's no no nah, there's no need for more books but i think yeah there must inevitably be the inevitably be the um Ariman versus mephiston if they don't do that one day at least i'd be so upset and also i just think there's opportunities yeah n- I do that. I I don't know because honestly, the authors might have something more they want to say. I just think the author Darius Hinks, who wrote the trilogy of Mephiston specifically, I think he's like put in a good spot where like Mephiston's at a good point. Obviously, there's more trials and tribulations. You know, good old Uriel Ventress has had six books and he's still mm. going. He's still going through stuff. So, um, I don't. I I can't say if what. Kai 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 came. I feel as well as as a space marine enjoyer. There's a lot of fans who are like crying out for other characters in different factions to get more spotlight. Uh, and I feel like the more the more books we have of a Mephiston or a Uriel Ventress, the more those fans are like, "Can we please have some Iron Hands lore or some like White Scars or, or something that's like mm, that needs some like desperate new stuff love. to to keep up to date." I don't think crossovers is a good uh, opportunity yeah. for him. Because again, he should be mental Mephiston rather than. No, I mean just like yeah, like put put him on the ba- on the bench for now. Let the other factions have their time, and then hopefully when when the setting progresses a bit more, we can bring him back for another outing. You know? We could we have a Krieg book that isn't Rex, so we can get <laughs> something about them that isn't shovel memes. Please, I beg of you. I beg of you, TW. What about you, Eli? Would you uh, what would you say? I like him. Mephiston's cool, even if you. Hurt my boys, the Gene Stealers, and my boys, the Necrons, and my boys, the Eldar. <laughs> I don't think a, he's like, a lot of elves today. Eldar, really. It's okay. The Harlequins. Uh, he, I guess he didn't really fight them, though. He, he just trolled them. Just a prank. Uh, I do think we should do a Calor Drago versus Mephiston versus episode. <laughs> That'd be fun. That'd be very fun. Although, today it should be Calor Drago versus the Warp at <laughs> the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I already know who wins. Yeah, for real. Calor Drago versus the Doomslayer. All right, being, well, uh, I, think, I think we know who wins that one in the other direction. <laughs> People have been gagging for the um, Ariman versus Mephiston just because it's the two most powerful Ooh, cycles yeah. in the setting. Mm-hmm. So that'll be a interesting time. Just because I think technically Mephiston is more powerful than Ariman just because... Uh, Ari Mephiston's power is like he's got something more powerful, like you know, basically powering him up. But maybe Ariman's a better sorcerer in terms of he could do more. 
Um, <laughs> but there's, yeah, the Mephiston's cool. There's a lot that goes on. As we could tell, this has been a long episode of 40 Boys. But uh, with that being said, though, uh, I don't know. What is our next episode on, boys? Did we already decide that one, if I remember correctly? I think... Oh, I think it's up in the air at the moment, actually. So if you want to make any suggestions for future episodes, just uh, comment below Endless Space 2. Make it happen. If you want to <laughs> comment an endless stream of Caiaphas Kane or <laughs> Godric and Felix, feel free to do so. I'm not telling you to do so, of course. Just, you know, suggesting. Or Pelinol White Strike. Give Colin the uh, opportunity to do a, a two and a half hour <laughs> episode of pure, pure uh, Godric. Part one of nine of Caiaphas Kane. <laughs> <laughs> or part one of 18 of Caiaphas yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be. That's not even pain, that's fun. Um, but that being said, though, thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, for watching. Uh, I, I've done a research into Mephiston a few times, so glad to finally use it all up in one go and to actually be for it to be useful um hope you guys all enjoyed and hopefully enjoyed his mephiston's uh current law too got a very cool model on the tabletop and uh got some cool law too and uh with that being said thank you so much for listening and watching uh com- again comment below for any suggestions for future episodes and we'll see you all next time peace take Bye. care everyone bye armored core